Welcome to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. On today's show, we'll talk about some games that we've played recently, our opinions of Black Angel, we'll get into a board game topic in which today's will be board game art, followed by our top three favorite art in board games, and we'll cap the show with Risto's Cave of Crowdfunding Wonders. Today's episode 7, we're recording on September 28, 2019 at Demolition Games. Demolition Games is located at 3300 South and 85 West in Salt Lake City, Utah. If you're in the area, we all highly suggest that you come down for some great games and deals. We are your hosts. I'm Brandon. I'm Matt. I'm Justine. And Jacob could not be with us today, so instead we have our friend and fellow gamer, Jonathan. Welcome, Jonathan. Thanks. Um, to kind of introduce you to the folks at home, we just asked Jonathan to kind of just quickly put together his top three favorite games of all time, so I'll go ahead and list that now so you can get to know him. All right. So, number three is going to be Marvel Legendary, with the condition that you play with any one of the big box expansions. Oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't know that anybody liked that game in that group. That's interesting. <laughs> Borderline never heard of it. Yeah, is it like a target game? With you never heard of Spider-Man? Marvel Legendary? No. It's the Marvel deck building game. Oh, is it the one that you liked way back in the day? Is that uh-huh. the same one? You like DC. I like DC. Oh. I had Marvel Legendary. <laughs> I had some expansions for it. I sold it at SaltCon, but that's cool. Yeah, I generally play it as a full co-op. I don't like messing around with the semi-co-op. It has a semi-co-op thing where, like, there's problems coming out that everybody should solve together. But if you're playing it competitive, too, like, basically it could have this bad thing happen where everyone's like, you take care of it. No, you take care of it. And the person that, like, it's going to hurt the most ends up taking care of it. And at the end of the game, you count up your points, and whoever was, like, it's co-op, but whoever was, like, the most like heroic wins according yeah. to points. Yeah, so. there's an MVP. That's right. Yeah, I just ignore that unless you win, then you get a token. Oh, you're the MVP at the end. It's not like you won and nobody else won. Because mm-hmm. with the expansions, you can make it challenging enough. With the base box, it's just too easy. I try. I try it again at fully co-op. I definitely try it. Is this a, like a nostalgic favorite? Is it something you still like, or is it something you like from back in the day? I still like it. I will play on the online solo leagues they have sometimes. Um, obviously, like the X Men a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge Marvel fan, so it might be fun. Mm-hmm. It's still a deck builder, so you guys might not eh. love it, but I like it. My number two game is Scythe. Yep. Stegmeier. Yeah. Um, I was actually just talking to Jonathan recently about this. I don't feel like our board gaming group gives Scythe enough love. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a little bit too many complaints about it, which some I kind of understand, but the major complaint is that you don't get equal amount of turns, but the uh, expansion fixes that. I like Scythe, too. Yeah, I like it pretty okay. So no one brings it. Are you ever going to bring it? I (laughs) did today. 
because oh, of this. Okay. Hey. <laughs> um, I'd be willing to give it a try again. I'm not a huge fan of 4X, but... Yeah, it's kind it's of like baby though. 4X. Yeah, it's um, 4X for... Yeah. But yeah, I like it. I backed the original Kickstarter, so... Nice. The econ building is fun for that. Kind of uh, nostalgic yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just I like the board too. I like the personal board, and you're deciding which to lift off. Yeah, yeah, I really the like the engine that. building in it is good, and it. I'm glad you guys recognize it as a 4x game because I do see it as a 4x game. Some people have called it worker placement, which like <laughs> does not like you're putting your workers <coughs> down, and then they never come off the board again, and they're moving yeah. around. For so, me, worker placement has to have the possibility of getting blocked. Yeah. But. Yeah, I guess you're hopping your little tote or your little guy around your main board, but that's not worker placement. It's like you're movement, not right? Yeah. It's like yeah. point to point movement. The only thing you're doing is blocking yourself, really. Mm-hmm. And my number one game is Great Western Trail. Yay. Okay. I like it with yeah. the expansion, without it. Played it. Played it like over. 30 times. Mm-hmm. I probably could have guessed that because you bring yeah. it every time and I see you playing it a lot. And that's a, it's a great game. The yeah. Western Trail is good. I like that game a lot. I just need to get better at it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and Jonathan's getting better and better and better too. That's kind of the thing of when you have a way favorite game you've played 30 times <laughs> or you played online or something and then you bring it live. Sometimes you just smash people's faces in. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that happens unless I'm teaching new players. Then I end up playing myself in a weird <laughs> chess like variant. That scene from John Malkovich. Malkovich? Malkovich? <laughs> um, so before we get the show started proper, um, I was kind of looking at some expansions that are coming out this this year. Some of them may be already out. Now, um, I'll just list some. There's uh, Heaven and Ale, Kegs, and More. You guys heard of that? Hmm. M-O-R-E. Uh-huh, yeah, Kegs, like Kegs of Beer. Yeah. And More. It's not the Scottish M-O-R-E. More. M-O-R-E. <laughs> M-O-R-E. Okay. Oh, yeah, not More, like a M-O-O-R. It's like, okay. did Rosenberg have anything to yeah. do with this? <laughs> so, it's like Kegs, and then some more stuff. Some more stuff, okay. So that's exciting, right? Uh-huh. Terra Mystica is coming out with an expansion. Oh, you I'm probably aware. knew this? Yes. yes. Oh, we're thrilled. Uh, Merchants of the Sea and Tiny Towns, Fortune. More Tiny Town stuff. I feel like there's room for it. Yeah. Right? Definitely. Yeah, I agree with all of those. Heaven and Nail, I haven't played enough because a lot of people don't like it. I think just me and you. Uh, yeah, I and love so I'm not like ready for an expansion like we need kegs or anything. Yeah. But... Yeah. But I'm yeah, sure it's good. I'll probably get it. I don't know how quickly I'll get to it. Yeah, um, I'll play the expansion. Uh, maybe it'll actually let me do well in the game. It's a rough one. I haven't yeah. done it yet. Maybe you and I need to play Heaven and Hell, because I can't figure that game out for the life of me. We'll both have, like, zero points. Yeah. Under ten. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if I get in the double digits, I'm thrilled with my score. The thing about the game is it's situational. Yeah. Like, if, someone, if a couple people are doing really well... That does mean that two other people are not going to be doing very good. Yeah, like that's it's just, true. It's zero sum. Yeah, there's only so many purple discs. And yeah, stuff. exactly. Yeah, that's true. Um, through the Ages is getting new leaders and wonders. That yeah. is unnecessary. 
they already are going to like Sid Meier and like Vlada Chivital. Like <laughs> they've already jumped the shark. <laughs> yeah, I, it's probably necessary for people to play it a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean I've played it twice, so um, I can just be like, who needs I played, it? <laughs> I played it a lot on the app, and like I think I'd be more excited for the app expansion, mm-hmm. just because like I keep seeing the same leaders and wonders. So yeah, that's neat. Um, but I'm not going to buy the physical copy of it. No, uh, Gugan. Is getting an expansion. You guys are what? kind of like <laughs> <Why>? kind of. <laughs> I just wanted to mention that because uh, your guys' feelings on the game and underwater cities, new discoveries. Do you think that's going to be extra cards? I guess. I don't know. What else do they do? I mean, the game is all on the cards, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if they'll add a new board to it or what, but I feel like both Gugan and Underwater Cities like isn't ready for an expansion yet like they just came yeah. out last year well underwater yeah. cities this year right earlier this year yeah or Essen last year so yeah it's kind of interesting yeah those both seem aggressive timing wise maybe you... the gugon expansion will make it interesting to play <laughs> <laughs> yeah they would need some more modules like the modules they have don't need expanding we don't need other random rewards up north we don't need yeah other mm-hmm. nine cards or other four cards or something um, how do you guys feel about expansions? Do you guys get excited when you when you hear about expansions? Do you get more excited for expansions to games that you like, or more excited for new games coming out? Um, I get more excited for games that I like. Um, I rate them really high. On BGG, I have to filter out like filter out expansions if I'm ever wondering what's my own top ten. Just something I like to do all the time. <laughs> you can hit the filter out expansions because I rate a ton of expansions ten. You know, just Agricola, Terra Mystica, all my favorite games. When I mean, they have a favorite expansion, I love them. Mm-hmm. I don't like expansions when it's really obvious that it was stuff that could have easily been included in the base game and they just didn't. They waited to put out an expansion. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's kind of like DLC in video games. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like. But, I mean, you know, like the Terra Mystica expansions, for example, like both the Fire and Ice and the one coming out, this game has been out for so long and so many people have played it so many times. I think that's the perfect time for an expansion. Yeah, you hear a lot of like people's feedbacks on the game and it's played enough to where maybe you could see little imbalances and you could make little kind of fixes. Yeah, maybe during playtesting, you know, they playtested it a thousand times, but now it's been played a hundred thousand times and uh-huh. there's different metas to address and stuff. Yeah. Also, Great Western Trail, I think that one came out two years after the game. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. a great time oh, for yeah. an expansion, like two years after, if it's still popular. Really new idea, too. It wasn't just merely like, here's some different colors of cows. Yeah, and they fixed everybody's complaint Mm -hmm. about the cities going the wrong way in the base game. Yeah. (laughs) Do you get excited for expansions? I like expansions all right, but same echo what everyone else has said. If it doesn't add much or if it's too soon after the original, then I don't like it. It's really easy for me not to buy them if... I'm not into it. Yeah. So, funny story about expansions. The very first two expansions that I bought, I bought with the base game, and to this day haven't played <laughs> Which two? Yet. So, Viticulture with Tuscany. I bought those together. Played Viticulture several times. Haven't played with Tuscany yet. It's great. Merchants and Marauders, with the expansion that I don't remember what the name is, 
but I even haven't played Merchant and Marauders yet. Somebody was telling me that I had to buy it because it had like something broken in the original game, mm. so you had to buy the expansion, so I bought them together. And Merchants and Marauders is kind of a funny game because it's like not one that our gaming group would Seems play. It's pretty yeah. conflict-heavy for our group. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of trashy, too. And... Yeah. But, like, I have this weird fantasy that one day I'll, like, have this tight group of friends that will play in some basement someday together and, like, get into it enough to, like, add the expansions. It's not the only game that I have on my shelf for these theological friends. (laughs) (laughs) Borderline cosplaying. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But maybe I'll have to get rid of it one day or... (laughs) <laughs> I mean, these, or maybe I'll just come up with imaginary friends. Going crazy might be a good idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> just down in we've, your basement together. We've definitely uh, bought games with the expansion. Right now, the only one I can think of is um, Lorenzo. Uh, oh, Lorenzo yeah. Lorenzo El Magnifico, and then... But you guys had played Lorenzo first. With, with the, the expansion. With the expansion, so it's like you that was the game to you, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, we've known our expansions going in. Okay, so that Viking game that I knew I wasn't going to like, you bought it with two expansions, and you like it, I don't still. Yeah. What Viking game? Uh, Champions of Midgard. Oh, okay. I yeah. really like Champions of Midgard. I, did, have you played it with the expansions? I yes. gave it six minutes and had to quit. Yeah. Okay, because I think it fixes the game, like, completely. It's not just, like, roll dice and go, ah, oh, because those, you kind of, I was re-rolling to kill my Vikings. Yeah. Because I needed those tokens to Which like, is hilarious. So, yeah, it's kind of sure. I, I like I like champions. Alright, so next up you'll hear some games that we played recently. Starting with me. Okay, so this week recently I played a game called Welcome to Centerville. It's a GMT game by Chad Jensen. Chad Jensen did um, a lot of war games for GMT and including um, Dominant, dominant species. So this game is a roll and write. Like essentially it's a roll and write, but there's no writing. There's a, a central board and your own board, but you're only putting like chits for set collection like near your board. Your board is basically just like a, a player aid. The dice uh, don't have pips, they have symbols and the symbols represent different spaces on the board. And it's like so I played this with Christo, and Christo owns it, and he was saying that it reads like a war game. And when I was thinking about it, it almost like plays kind of like a war game too, or more like dudes on a map kind of game, because you're putting out cubes for area majority, area control, moving up on certain tracks. and But the theme is like you're like the mayor, and you're trying to like build up the town to maybe like, or maybe you're running for mayor. I don't know, the theme is kind of not really there um i liked it a lot like it was probably the most complex roll and write i'm doing quotations because it's like not exactly a roll and write but it's like the teach is a little rough there's a lot to explain in it but once it gets going it's actually really cool and there's a lot of way to kind of mitigate dice you could even get chits from dice rolls to just turn one dice into whatever you want it to be uh, there's different colored dice, too. So if I get the blue chit, then the blue dice is always whatever I want it to be. So I put it to what I want it to be and then roll. Also, it's kind of Yahtzee style, but a little more free than that. You roll your dice three times. 
you could keep however many you want, you could re-roll however many you want. So you're just rolling three times, or not, or one time. Uh, it was fun. I wouldn't suggest playing it with two. is kind of a pain because there's a bot, and the bot you have to roll the dice for, and it has a list of things that it goes down the list of, like, if this was rolled, then this happens. If this is rolled, then this happens. All hard and, pass. I've never yeah. seen that work well. Yeah. Yeah, I never like bots in games. <laughs> and then you have to... And then it, like, trolls the game. It, like, it breaks the rules, too, so it, like, adds cubes where like normally wouldn't be able to mm. and it's just kind of a pain so two i wouldn't play that but three and more i would i i want to try it with more than two because that just felt like it kind of bogged down the game um but i i really liked it uh, welcome to centerville so that's funny it comes in a small box with like cartoons on the cover and it's by gmt and so i'm yeah. like oh so they didn't do a war game but you're like no it is a complicated war game <laughs> I don't know about well, I mean, war really. game it kind of feels like dudes on a map but you're putting but that, that's what I mean from, yeah. yeah but all the components and everything like the chits look like chit pull system like it all looks like kind of a war game and it looks it looks probably more complicated than it is but it is more complicated than like I wouldn't suggest this to any like person that like loves roll and write games I wouldn't be like oh you should get welcome to Centerville <laughs> I would more suggest this to people that like like Roll and write games and like G and T games, like it's a mm -hmm. perfect mashup of the two. Like it, it, it's. I think it well represents like a roll and write game made by GMT. Like it's kind of what you'd expect, but it's not a small box though. It's like a regular. It's thin, but I, I remember it being like almost Ticket to Ride size box, maybe oh, maybe okay. thinner, but it's not small. It's not like a small roll and write game. All right, so this week. I played a lot of games. The most recent one was Freshwater Fly. Oh, the fishing game. Yep. It's a dice drafting, rondelle, set collection, fly fishing game. And huh. it was actually pretty fun. Um, you can... A lot of it is mitigating the die rolls. So that's one track you're doing. That's your finesse of how well you're handling your rod um then there's the actual rondelles your reel so hmm. depending on which die you took it'll give you a benefit to where that lands and the fish are all different types um the copy i played on had german cards i guess they had a mix-up so all the fish were german named <laughs> <laughs> so the rennet bogan something was the rainbow Rain trout <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it was great. I, you sound like you were kind of surprised you liked it. Yes, when he was pulling it out and explaining it, I was thinking about switching to a different game. Uh, <laughs> Just got to go to the bathroom. Sorry. But, <laughs> that one's by Brian Sure. It was uh, surprisingly all right. It sounds good to me. I like all those mechanisms. What's like the weight? It was, you know, W E I G H T. It was pretty. Uh, I say medium light. Okay. So the dice is your reel. So the dice you can either use to hook a fish or once you have it on or fish on, you're supposed to yell that out. I, we fish never on. did. Fish on. <laughs> when you get a fish on the line, you say, fish on. But <laughs> we never really do that. Um, so you can either use the die to cast higher up in the river and then you're line will drift down up to two rows of fish um, and 
there's a mechanism with what color bait you're using, depending on what food's been randomly distributed. That tells you where you want to cast your fish, what kind of flies mm -hmm. they're biting on that day or whatever. Um, and then once you have it on the line, you're using it to rotate your rondelle, which is reeling it in. So, And your rondelle is personal? Yes. And then the fish are on a common board? There's a big river full of fish. Are it's they literally like... a card river. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's completely full of fish, like... I think it's six. Oh, are they three. cards? Yeah, they're cards. Okay. And then once you have the fish on the line, you flip it over to see how much drag it's giving you and how many points it's worth. Okay. And then so you don't know what you're getting until you pull the fish you out. You know how difficult the fish is to catch. Uh -huh. And that kind of gives you... An idea of how many points, yeah. the range of points, the range of difficulty. It's not going to be a really difficult fish, and then you turn it over and it's like two points, right? Right. Exactly. Hmm. It's If it's an easy fish... You'll get it in one rotation of your rondelle. If it's a hard fish, you have to do three rotations. Sounds cool. Like, yeah, it's it a different surprise. theme. Yeah. I mean, you know, and it sounds like the mechanisms work well with the theme. Yeah, I think it's a cool insight to realize a rondelle could be a line that you're reeling uh -huh. Yeah. I never thought of a fishing game, like a fishing themed board game. That's kind of cool, actually. Yeah. yeah, that designer actually yeah. has another one. Um, Cold water or something. Oh, cold yeah. Cold water catch or something like yeah. that. Mm. But I guess okay. he likes fish games. Yeah. Apparently. There's fleet, but that's just a cube pusher. That could be any other theme. You are yeah. catching fish in that, though, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, but it's not as dynamic as, like, reeling the fish in. You're no. just sending boats out yeah. and catching fish. You could be yeah. buying groceries, yeah. The yeah. other <laughs> cool thing was um, once you, like, when you cast your rod out, um, cast your line, you're flipping these four cards, and one of them is the fish on the line, and the other ones are just the your uh, fly float floating on the water. But you can complete, so that represents like tapping your um, line so that it like makes the fly jump so that uh -huh. the fish will bite. And you can, if you really want the fish it landed on, you can spend finesse to like flip more cards. Otherwise, your line floats down to the next place, and if your bait type is on that next place you get more flips so it's uh dice rolling but you have lots of ways to mitigate the bad luck cool That's yeah, interesting. Definitely try that. yeah definitely um so this week i got to revisit a game that i played a couple of years ago quite a few years ago um and when I played it first, it was without the expansion. We've already talked about it. It's Viticulture. And I played it um, at a board game store in Vegas. And it had been a day where Matt and I had been learning, like, ten different rule sets for different games. And it was the end of the night, and I think Matt was kind of grumpy. Yeah. He Guilty. hated Viticulture. I was kind of on the fence about it. I liked it a bit. I was interested in trying it some more. Um, but I finally got to revisit it with the Tuscany expansion. I would highly, highly recommend Viticulture with the Tuscany expansion. It fixes a lot. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Especially in the two-player game? 
So I, maybe I still would be grumpy if he played it again without expansion and just two player. It closes off so many worker placement spots. Like mm-hmm. it's a very linear game. Like you have to get vines, make grapes, make wine in that order. We're all just like doing the same thing, and somebody wins by one. Mm-hmm. So we were playing with five players. Yeah. If you're playing with an odd number of players, there's like kind of an extra spot because there's the three that it becomes mm-hmm. available with the uh, two player, four player, or two player, three to four player, five to six player. Mm-hmm. So that might have helped a little bit. And it's good when a game helps you out at three player count and five player count because everything is, you know, best at four, best or four, best or four. So it's cool to have something that can be three and five in your bag. It adds a new, a whole new season, right? The board adds a new season. Instead of being in two seasons that you're placing workers, yeah. it's four it's seasons. Four. Oh, okay. Okay, nice. And it's cool because when you pass out of the round, you retrieve all your workers. So if you kind of delay your workers or have extra workers, spots can actually open up as people pass into the next year. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of funny, you said this is one of the expansions you hadn't played. It seems like it's one of the better expansions as mm-hmm. esteemed by our group. Yeah, yeah. It fixes some problems with the game. And I like I definitely intend on buying Viticulture with the Tuscany expansion. And then also the um, Visitors from the Rhine. Like I mini think. expansion? Yeah. So, yeah, the cards. Yep, it changes all the visitors to be more focused on winemaking and less random points, money and yeah. winemaking. Because I think the base game is like you pull a visitor and it's just like get three gold, it, hooray. It could be anything. Mm-hmm. You don't know. Yeah, I didn't. I still don't like the purple deck in that game. The random recipe fulfillment. You have, you know, so many red grapes and so many white grapes and you basically are just top decking this purple deck trying to make a delivery of the right kind of grapes. Mm-hmm. Did you look at the selling wine option? For either one, two, or four dollars in winter, it one, two, or four points, points I think. Points. Yeah. So that's is that always oh, that the thing? If you don't, I, I mean, it's not that much worse. I don't think it's that much worse, Mm-mm. especially if you're selling like a one value white wine or something like that. Mm-hmm. I just I'm not a game designer, so I don't know any ideas. I just thought there'd be something cool to be done there instead of just top decking the purple deck. I don't know some kind of like common you know end game goal like a lot of games have. Yeah, yeah. or it. at least like. Um, like a card drafting mechanic with the, with the purple deck, yeah, right? Yeah, like, draft them. Yeah. Or draw two, pick one, something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Some mitigation. Which I also don't love, but it's better. Yeah. But I love the yeah. differentiated workers, so... Oh, I yeah. really enjoy it. I'm intending to buy it, but yeah. All right, cool. Uh, so this week, coincident with Yinch getting re-released or getting another print run, so it's not $300 anymore. If you were waiting to buy Yinch, it's 30 bucks now. Go get it. Um, I played Yinch against like one of the best people in the world online. Hmm. Okay, so I was black. Um, every time you score by getting five in a row, you have to take off, we'll call them one of your workers, one of your rings. And so you're kind of at a disadvantage. And uh, he answered a question I had about the game. Um, I got up 2-0, you played a three. So, and then like all of the circles on the board were black. And I was just eating popcorn ready to see how he was going to beat me. Because I just thought I had him by the ropes. But I was like, obviously I don't. I'm not the world's best Yinge player. And yeah, soon enough he started just doing these forcing lines, making me make moves. And uh, he ended up winning. And it was beautiful. Uh, Yinch is really cool. 
Um, this happens in Go sometimes where there's like ladders where you make a move and it forces your opponent to make a move. And then, you know, you have these really long combinations that you can foresee. And he just played me like a fiddle. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That reminds me, I played foosball against like, uh, like a yeah. world champion. And I didn't know he was one. It was just mm-hmm. at a bar one night. And then he's like, do you want to play a game? I was like, Sure. And uh, I uh, I just watched in awe of like how I was like I didn't know you could manipulate the ball that much like that's mm-hmm. crazy. Was he doing like curve shots and stuff? He was doing curve shots. He like bounced the ball up and over <laughs> like the, the like people's <laughs> that's heads. Crazy. And I scored once on him, and he just like whooped me. And he's like, "Sorry, maybe I should have said something." <laughs> like, he knew. I was like, he knew what he was doing. What he I was like, "I would, I would pay to play you again." That was awesome. So I, I understand. Yeah. that is what I'm saying. Like, yeah, it's kind of even getting whooped. It's just like that was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was some games that we played. So next up, will be. Next up will be our opinions of Black Angel. All right, Black Angel is uh, our spotlight of this evening. Um, gosh, who wants to explain Black Angel? I can. So in Black Angel... It is designed by the same designers as uh, Troyes. Or Trois. Or Trois. It is Trois, is how you would pronounce it in French. Um, and Selenia, I think, is their other game. And basically, they took those two games and stuck them together. So on the one hand, you've got the board where you have workers... And those workers represent the dice that you have to work with, and you can buy dice from other people. Um, and the like dice, in trois, right? yeah, like in trois. And the dice are what you use to do actions, just like trois. Then on the Selenia side of it, you have this shape that's space, and you send robots out of your main ship and put cards down on planets, and they can make you do. Or they can give you different actions to do. They can give you bonuses when they fall off. It's just up to you and the cards you place. So, yeah. You also have a personal angel. board oh, with yeah. tech on it. And it's kind of an engine building thing. So you like are basically discarding a card of a certain color. Mm-hmm. Or there's also like a wild card you could discard as well. That's going to trigger all the techs of that color. Either row or column. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the wild one will trigger all of them. Um, th- like Justine said, there's that that central board that has the spaceship Black Angel on it, which is like very reminiscent of uh, of Serenity, like in Firefly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have another common board where the dice drafting is happening. Well, not really dice drafting. Yeah. Um, you're just kind of rolling dice and using dice worker placement, which is inside the ship. So you're like working inside the ship or fleeing the ship and going outside the ship and doing stuff. And it's interesting inside the ship because you have those shared incentives to clean up the mm, yeah. ravager attacks. Yeah, very teams. semi-co-op. Very yeah. semi. Because everybody can ignore it and just rush the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty allegedly shared incentives. Mm-hmm. 
it's pretty hard to make. Okay, so if everybody just ignores the bad, threatening things, what happens? The ship doesn't make it to the final planet, and you don't get to score for your leftovers. It seems like if even one person wants that to happen, it will happen and everybody dies, and you、mm-hmm. should not count on making it to the end planet. And you won't be disappointed. <laughs> yeah. So I was actually taking the Ravenger cards, be only for the reason of not like trying to clean up, not trying to save the ship, but because those cards are awesome to run your engine with. Yeah. So like I think there's more incentive to take those cards、uh, because of that reason. Like I didn't care. The ship could have blown up and we could have stopped the game. That's fine. But I'm like I want to. Be able to run my engine smoothly, and、right. I built up my engine like crazy. Like I was even discarding things and switching them out. Like that was a huge、mm-hmm. part of the game for me, which is fun.、Um, but、mm-hmm. what actually makes more Ravagers come is sending out your little、uh, flying saucers to colonize other planets,、um, which is the coolest part of the game because you put your little robot in the little ship. Yeah, yeah, oh, that yeah, is yeah. pretty yeah. neat. Yeah, they fit in the little ship. They click、yeah. in, and then yeah. And then you so, get to fly them around space. So I'm not talking about taking the Ravenger cards off the ship as much as making new ones populate. If you want to be really colonize a lot of planets, the ship is going to go down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, going to、yeah, draw a lot of attention to the ship. I guess thematically, right?、Yeah. And if you want to try to counter that, apparently you put your guys on the Ravenger spot. Yeah. So that they can't trigger. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of Ravenger spots. I'm skeptical.、Yeah. I think they're mostly Ravenger definitely.、Spots. If two people want the game to end early, it's going to happen. Yeah, in a four-player game. I felt that the theme actually came through for me. Oh yeah, I thought、definitely. that it was really neat that I'm like working on the ship and I'm sending drones out to go、uh, like trade with alien races and、mm-hmm. and I've only played it once, so like、uh, take my opinions with a grain of salt. But I I well. I don't know if I have opinions about it. Is a thing like、yeah. it's it's a it's a bigger game to like. It's really rough to play one game and then actually form a, a valid opinion about it. But what I what I can say about it is the theme came through. I was entertained and had fun while I was、mm-hmm. playing. I don't know if it's a good game. I don't know if I like it.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> you guys、okay. could probably. You guys have played it more. Than yeah,、that. yeah, yeah. Definitely、did. a game that needs probably two playthroughs to answer your questions.、Mm-hmm. It's、yeah. the first playthrough. You're like,、oh, okay, now I get just what's happening. I have some minor theme nitpicks. These robots that are driving the ship are just like they're waiting in a lobby for most of their lives, and then they can go out and be like laser gun assassins to the Ravengers, and then. They can also be MacGyvers who turn like floating debris into really useful metal, and then at the very end they just poop the bed and fall off the map because they can't fly around. So, so you're <laughs> just the, you're feeling the bad for the robots. Well, yeah, just they are at simultaneously James Bond and super incompetent. <laughs> well, but if you think about it, if they get too far from the ship, then they can't get back. There's not enough fuel in this flying saucer. Sure, and then why? What is okay? So the ship is blowing up and debris falling off, and then they go out and turn it into useful metal. I don't know. I said it was a nitpick. Yeah, yeah it's a very big nitpick. <laughs> oh, okay. Also, it's the <laughs> break room they're hanging out in, not a lobby. It is yeah, the break room. Yeah, yeah they're yeah. sitting there with like a Pepsi machine. But you can send them to work at the dice stations, which isn't very good if somebody ends the game early because you spent that action to get extra dice to not、yeah. use late. For very many rounds. Other、okay. thing with that is, 
people buy your dice with the resources. The resources don't get scored if the game ends early, so mm -hmm. they bought your dice with fake money. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a good point, yeah. Hey, but you can only buy one die, uh, as opposed to Trois, where you can yeah. buy several. Yeah. It's just, it, just the cost ramps cost. up like crazy. But this is just one die, no matter the pip, for one crystal, which might be a problem, too. Like, maybe you should have been able to buy the one pips for one, the two pips for two, yeah. and the three pips for three, because the... You, because the threes are good everywhere like yeah. it's not like the ones are good for certain places yeah. so they should have ramped up the cost maybe for I the think pips. So, yeah i liked that dynamic i thought diamonds grew on trees everybody had enough diamonds it's really bloody i didn't want my neighbor to get lucky by rolling all threes and i roll all ones so what do i do i use make-believe money to steal her dice okay lol yeah. yeah my thing about black angel is i've played it four or five times now and every time I play it I just want to put it away and play Trois mm. um, I think I like Trois better um, and teaching this game is such a pain <laughs> it's such a pain and um, another thing I found is it plays really well with four players simply for the fact that there's four pairs of eyes watching what's going on um, when Matt and I played it, just the two of us, we missed steps like adding Ravengers, adding technology to the track, because there were just two of us paying attention to what was going on. And so we missed like vital steps like that. Even with four players, you can easily miss those vital steps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very difficult um, to plan anything, mm -hmm. and it's very easy to forget to do all of those fiddly upkeep parts like adding technologies, adding mm -hmm. ravagers, mm -hmm. moving the die over, following what the ravagers are doing yeah. on the ship. You can forget that as well. And yeah. there's so many little finicky things that teaching all of the rules, like I don't think I've taught the rules correctly once. It always <laughs> seems like... like you like you feel like you've missed something? Yeah. Within yeah. like every game, there's been at least one point where I had to tell the new player, like, ooh, sorry, I totally forgot to tell you this, but... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's sorry. more of the game's fault, too, than, than the teacher. If there's just like way too many moving parts and fiddly things, and mm -hmm. yeah. Um, now, some people don't see the Twa connection. Justine, you see it. Mm -hmm. I super see it. I think it is Twa in space. I see it all. completely, oh, okay. yeah. Okay. yeah. I mean, you have the spaces <laughs> where your die goes, and, like, you're placing dies. I mean, you, there's even, like, similar mechanic to get more dice. Not yeah. really, though, but, I mean... You're not kicking anybody out. You're not kicking out. anybody out and losing those dice. But there are, like, three spaces that generate you, dice yeah. for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I see the connection... I feel like it's it's different enough to own both, if mm -hmm. if you like have interest in Black Angel, I I might like it the most out of everybody. It sounds like, but I've only played it once, and the problems that I saw in it, I wondered if those would kind of dissolve away after more plays and more people getting more plays and playing with like the same people all the time. Yeah. Like you figure out like, oh, this person's rushing this, so I I know my job to mm -hmm. stop that. Um, I don't know if that's true. Uh, but I don't know if you can stop it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what's been... You'd uh, try to catch up on points. 
I think it's just like Twa. You try and set up this big cheesy engine, hope it works out. Like you said, there's no planning. It reminds me of just the first three stages of Twa where you're just top decking the event cards. And then we don't have those two rounds like we do in Twa to actually like run your engine a bunch mm -hmm. of times. Mm -hmm. There's no planning. This is just tactical. I think the winning strategy in Black Angel is putting down some cheesy combo card where you sell like three diamonds for five points and then hit that for 15 points, which is a huge chunk. You do that twice in the game, you win. Yeah. Can people stop you? No, not really. Can they stop you in Twa? No, they can just go for a cheesier combo. Mm -hmm. um, going back to what Brandon said about stopping someone who's determined to rush the game. So one of the game end conditions is the Ravenger deck is empty. And the thing that makes it difficult to stop someone is Ravenger cards never get shuffled back in. Oh, I think yeah. adding just a simple mechanic where if you're pulling Ravenger cards off the ship mm -hmm. and once you use them on your board, when you discard them, they go back into the Ravenger deck. I think that would make it a lot easier to stop the person. But as it is, he doesn't care that we're getting all of these Ravenger cards by cleaning up the ship. And by the way, we're losing actions because that takes a whole turn is to clean up part of the ship. Um, because those cards are never going to go back in the deck. Mm -hmm. They're going to stay out of the deck entirely. So you're saying remove that in-game mechanic completely. Or add some way to put Ravenger cards back into the deck. I, Which yeah. could make it go on, keep I, going I, on. I and desperately on. wanted some way to counter what Christo was doing, what you were doing, yeah. trying to end it early. But there was no way to counter it. Yeah. No, you just have to react <coughs> Because of the deck now. running out? That, yeah. That, yeah. Not no the way. ship, like, getting mm -hmm. overrun. It doesn't... Yeah, that's not... That's not... Big big that's fixable. Every single Ravenger that lands on our board... But it doesn't extend the game. Yeah. It's yeah. depleting that deck, and the game's going to end. Mm -hmm. Because Ravengers got us, so even though we're So if you were building any kind of an engine... Too mm -hmm. bad if you were collecting a lot of I hope you weren't peeking anything. Late. Too yeah, bad. Exactly. And I think um, it's just difficult to play there's no way to to counteract that strategy. So I think the most effective strategy in the game is to get yourself really high on points and then run the game out as fast as possible before anybody else can catch up. I think that's how you win. Which is very easy to do if you have a high point card that falls off or high point card that you turn in some stuff you're not going to score anyway. But if you didn't draw any high point cards, too bad. Mm -hmm. You don't even get to try that strategy. I do think like half the deck is high point cards. I'm not mad about the top decking in this game, especially I recommend the expert variant where you draw two pick one. Like obviously, just do that your first playthrough. Mm -hmm. I mean, could we compare it to Clank, where you just don't play with a person that's going to rush in, rush out? You yeah. Just, you just stop playing with them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you definitely could. Because our just... game, so I didn't experience that. Yeah. Our game, we made it to the plant. Like, everybody was on yeah. board with just, like, building up their own. Nobody Fair. was rushing yeah. it, and it felt good. So I haven't experienced a game where it's like, gosh, this, this guy's just rushing it, and, like, we're just going to get killed. And there's yeah. nothing I could do to stop him. So, like, I felt, like, very relaxed. I had time to build up my engine like crazy. Yeah, you did. And it, it, I just had a blast, like, putting in these cards and getting yeah. all this stuff. And I actually felt like there was a lot of planning happening with me because I'm like, okay, I put in this card here. I'm going to get all this stuff. 
then I'm going to do this. Unless somebody buys my die before my turn or uses the die that I was planning on buying from them. Like, mm -hmm. that's the only thing that could be tactical. But, like, yeah, I don't know. I had, like, a good time playing it. Yeah. I think if we had all played ten times, it will eventually, the meta will stabilize to the game you're talking about. I don't think that you can just naively rush and say, LOL, you guys lose. Um, because the winning scores, when we did that, were, like, 25. I think if somebody lands even one cooler thing than that. Um, you're, and if you are rushing, you are taking your turns to go colonize the planets. Um, other people can just piggyback off of your cards and save a whole turn to be running the same engine that you are. I don't think that it's long-term viable. I think it's just a noob troop tube, an early strategy before everyone's played like three times. I don't That's think it just true. works. Yeah, they had this I, game in three years of playtesting. I don't think it's that simple. Yeah, I agree. I've only played it twice. First game, we forgot a lot of things. Second yeah. game was... I was not expecting the fast end, so yeah. I definitely need to get a third play of this definitely. before I put a final judgment out. And maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. And then I would like to say my favorite part of the game is that the phase B just sucks, and so you just try and scrimp and scrap and never pick up and waste your whole turn re-rolling all your dice. You start buying people's zeros and buying people's crappy dice, and, oh, this is the wrong color, and it's only a one, but I don't want to pick up. I What's think that's phase really B? That's where you don't do anything. Phase A is you take your turn as normal. Phase B is re-roll all my dice, pass to the next turn, don't do anything. Move a lot of games shit. have it, like Concordia oh, yeah. has yeah. it and stuff. It's like where you pull out, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I especially you don't... like it in this game. Oh, you like it? Yeah. It just, it's just so terrible and nothing compared to maybe doing something with somebody else's dice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you do tend to spend gems. Mm -hmm. So... Um, final judgment. Uh... I think I have to play it more. I think you're right. I think Matt's right that um, the I think once you've played it enough with the same people, it will balance out to a game more like we played, mm -hmm. where no one was rushing the game, where everybody's trying to run their engine the best. But I mean, like when you're first, it's hard to get to that point. It's hard work. <laughs> Because you have to teach the rules. You have to play it multiple times. Are you a thumbs down? Yeah, what's your thumb oh, rolling? Oh, my heck. I don't know. For right now, it's a thumbs down, but we might have to revisit it. Okay. Do you just feel like it. you're insulting somebody? Is it a thumbs down? You just don't want to be mean? No, it's, <laughs> it's a thumbs down for right now. But I do think after a couple of playthroughs, maybe we can revisit it and redo our thumbs rating. So thumbs down. I'm okay. thumbs way up. I really liked it. Oh, cool. Um, mine's, my thumb is in the middle, leaning towards up because I need to play it more. Like I said, I hadn't experienced the game rush, so I don't know if that will like change my opinion about the game. But like, if I'm basing it on the one play that I played of it, like thumbs way up. But I am reluctant to give it a thumbs up because I, I need to play it more. Yeah. I need to see the possibilities. I need to hear... I need to see these complaints coming into fruition. So, thumbs in the middle, leaning up. Okay, right now, my thumb is down. I had very high expectations for this game because I really like Twa, and I kind of like Selenia, but I failed to temper my expectations before we played this game. And then, neither of the games have been fun, very fun <laughs> for me. So, after a third play, maybe I'll go up to the middle. After mm -hmm. a fifth... Six play, maybe I'll go up to the thumbs up, but right now it's down. 
That's mm-hmm. a great point. The expectations for this game are skyrocketing, and people maybe shouldn't think it's like the A plus best yeah. game ever. Yeah, but definitely. don't listen to us. We encourage that you play it yourself and 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 come oh, up with yeah. your own opinions. Definitely, Thanks, Lavar Burton. <laughs> don't take our word for it. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was also in Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that was our feelings about Black Angel. Next up is our board game topic. Our board game topic today is board game art. Um, All things board game art we're going to discuss. Before we get into that, we're going to answer some listener mail. Our first listener mail from somebody that's in our gaming group. But he did officially email Cards and Cubes. Cards and Cubes podcast at gmail.com if you want to get in on this. The question is from um, Colin from Salt Lake. He asks, what effect does visual style and design of a game have on the perceived complexity and weight of the actual gameplay? How much consideration should a designer put into making their game look as complex as it actually is? Oh, that's such a hard question to answer. I think... There's a certain amount of, like, I judge a game by its cover. And and as much as I don't want to, I mean, that's not the only thing, but if I see a cover that looks like a game I'll like, I'll definitely do some research. Um, for me, if there's a guy in an old-timey outfit staring out at me, perhaps holding coins or mm-hmm. vegetables mm-hmm. or something a that's a game that i'm like yes i want to research that more so you're talking about uh like box art box art yeah i completely agree i'm drawn to now we'll get into our top three favorite art in games yeah which are not going to be my top three favorite games by mm-hmm. any stretch of the imagination mm-hmm. the the games that i like don't typically have art that that I that I really like. Now I'm not saying that it's bad by any means. I'm not saying I don't like it. There's this weird like I see a Renaissance guy on the cover and it's like not highly detailed and I'm drawn to it because it's mm-hmm. telling me kind of what kind of what type of game it is. Yeah, exactly. Lorenzo El Magnifico, for instance, I saw on the new arrival shelf when it first came out and I was like, I bet I like that game. You know, it's yeah. got a Renaissance dude on it and then it's got like like shapes on it. I don't design like some like kind of Yeah. Like the pillars, the arches in the background. Yeah. Yeah. And so like I'm drawn to those those types Mm -hmm. of games. Um Twal, I was like, wow, that looks kind of like bad art. I bet it's a good game. Uh, Like (laughs) right and I know like like, medieval style art. Yeah, it's medieval style art. So I'm not I'm not trying to knock the artist. Like he did what he was supposed to with that game. Yeah. I just looked at it and said like this looks like my ten-year-old niece drew the, mm-hmm. the cover, but that's just because art hasn't hadn't evolved at that time. But mm-hmm. like, I'm drawn to kind of bad art because I feel like it's going to be a good game. Mm-hmm. But but um, um, there's some CGE games that are kind of misleading, right? Dungeon Lords, Dungeon Pets, mm-hmm. those look yeah. like family weight games. You oh, see yeah, that happy little imp on the cover, mm-hmm. and you're mm-hmm. like, I could play this with anybody. No, you better not. <laughs> and so what is that doing to gamers that are new to the hobby? They might buy that game and never play it. They might read the rule book and go, well, I'm way over my head. And it might get skipped over 
by the 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 players that like meteor games mm-hmm. you know yeah so designers control new players in that direction also root is in that same direction That's where all true, the critters yeah. are cute uh-huh. and it doesn't look like there's that much going on in the board it looks simple enough there's 12 spaces but really <laughs> of course root is very 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 complicated mm-hmm. um do you guys have any examples going the other way when like we might get trolled because the game looks complicated and then you're like there's nothing to this so when i first got into gaming when i first got into euro games um Settlers of Catan, I thought was a, a medium to heavyweight Euro game. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't look into it. I heard about it. I heard that like everybody played it tons of times, mm-hmm. and I wasn't. I didn't get into gaming when it first came out, which was what ninety. Was it in the nineties? Well, like it got 94? to America in ninety nine. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I wasn't playing designer games at that time yet, so I missed that whole thing, mm-hmm. and so. Me and my fiance bought it thinking that it was like a heavier game. We had already played heavier games, and then we pull it out and we're like, this is it? And we were like tremendously disappointed with it. Played it a couple times and never again. It was just like the 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 cover looked like a Euro game. Um and I guess like Ticket to Ride could look like that too, to an extent. Mm-hmm. But I already I already knew that it was a gateway game, so like it didn't fool me. Yeah. The uh, Ticket to Ride is a little bit more cartoonified. That's that There's is true. There's a kid welcoming you with a start, start, and he's not like he doesn't have the realism as the settlers of Catan, you know, like mm-hmm. draws out the corn and very mm-hmm. serious face making a trade on the cover. The Ticket to Ride guy's like, "Come on, guys!" Yeah, that's true. Um, there is some good examples of like King Domino. It uh-huh. looks like. The way that it is. Definitely, It yeah. fits very well. Same with, like, uh, Settlers, Imperial Settlers. Yeah. Like, it's very cutesy, mm-hmm. and, like, it doesn't fool you in one way or the other. Yeah. Like, it tells you what it is. So, like, to answer Colin's question, I think, yes, it is. I don't know if it's the designer that gets to make those decisions. I think mm-hmm. it's the publisher. But I do think it's of their responsibility to market their game as it is. I agree. And they do usually do. There's yeah. a consensus. We're yeah. talking yeah. about exceptions here. Yeah. Yeah. I know Haba does a good job. They're all in those yellow boxes and they're all really easy kid games. Uh huh. And mm-hmm. really good kid games. And the box like screams that, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. hey, this is a Haba game. It's probably pretty light, but they have a range. Like you can play with a two year old, you can play with a ten year old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they tell you what you can expect from the game yeah we are going into like kind of a different era of board games i feel like and some of the covers like for now like meteor euro games look more thematic mm-hmm. um but i'm st- I'm still wondering like when i look at the cover of black angel it doesn't scream a marath trash to me yeah for some reason like it still kind of has that feel when I look at the box, that it is probably a Euro game. Maybe it's because, like, I know the the, the artist, like, I know his work. Yeah. You know, so it looks like, um, what's his, his name's escaping me? Ian O'Toole. Ian O'Toole. Like, it, it, I can tell it's Ian O'Toole. Yeah. And he tends to do, like, heavier games. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. The art in Black Angel, I think, is really good because it's colorful. It's, it's really yes. colorful. Yeah. Like, really bright and, like, 80s style color palette but it's colorful yeah. but it doesn't make it difficult to read mm-hmm. right and we're talking about art like what you do with the paintbrush this whole time let's mention briefly also components matter like 
in nut so fast obviously those components match perfectly what do you do you grab the nuts um in Teo, to yeah. walk in you can tell that that pyramid is complicated and not for kids yeah in Takenoko, you can tell that you know there's the stacky of the bamboo and there's a cute little panda and you know that that's going to be a little bit lighter so at this point we've turned <clears throat> the box over now we're looking at, <laughs> at the yeah, yeah, yeah 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 i'm so I'm, I'm i'm trying to think if there's any um like the back of board games that have been fooling you which i can't think i'm, I'm sure there is mm-hmm. but i can't think of anything off the top of my head where i've like looked at the back of the box and go oh this looks like complex and not complex. It looks yeah. like heavier and like meatier than I've brought it home. Been like, no. So a yes, no. Like, how important is it? I actually think it's pretty important. Like, don't troll people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, now, our we talked about that we're drawn. Justine and <clears throat> yeah. I were drawn to certain art style of of, of, yeah. of games, and not because we. Well, for me. Not because I like the art, because it's telling me what kind of game it is. Exactly. Are you guys drawn to like the box, like the the art on the box? For sure. Yeah. Specifically, Ian O'Toole. Mm-hmm. He's way my favorite artist, and yeah, I love his box art. It really draws me in. Makes me want to play Black Angel more. Makes me want to play Pipeline more. Makes me want to play Lacerda games more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I see a Clemens Franz artwork, I'm like, well, that's that type of game. Maybe I'll play it. Maybe I won't. And that's what I mean for yeah. Lorenzo. He did Lorenzo. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah, you... I mean... You know what kind of game it's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you typically think of uh, Uwe Rosenberg games when you think of that artist. Yeah. But he does... Um, he's done uh, Kiesling games before. And, yeah, so he kind of... He kind of does, like, art for, like, kind of all my favorite designers. Yes, I happen to not like him as an artist, but I have a Pavlovian response because he's done so many games that I've tried and liked that, like, for instance, Lorenzo, don't like the art, love the game, mm-hmm. knew I was going to like the game because of Clemens Riverboat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't like the Riverboat art. Like, why is it right. so cartoony and weird? And... Yeah. No, same. I don't like that art, but I'm drawn to it. Yeah. It's kind of weird, right? Like, And I don't, like, hate it like I'm, like... Like looking at the cards and everything, going like, "Gosh, I hate this." Uh-huh. It it just dissolves away. Like I don't even think about it. I'm just focused mm-hmm. on the game. And that, for those types of games, I'm fine with that because like it is the mechanics that like are driving the game for me. So the art could be any like, whatever. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. Just so we're not just like trashing him. My favorite thing he does are the visitors in Grand Oster Hotel that are actually like board game celebrities. Like he'll draw in like Uve Rosenberg or the guy mm-hmm. from. T- to not to con. Oh no, from Zolking. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. is fun. I like doing he did that. He um, definitely does. He likes to do fun things, and he mm-hmm. likes to add. I like when he adds little bits of interest to the pieces of the game. You zoom in on the Agricola room, and they're playing a board game on the table. What game? Oh my god, Agricola! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you guys like uh, Vincent Dutrait? I know that he's he? like he's like huge. Um, New York, nineteen oh one. Yeah, Treasure Island, Medici, Longhorn, Museum, which is a newer game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quest for El Dorado, the new one that hasn't come out yet, he's oh. doing. So, like, that's kind of trolly of the old artist because it hasn't been out that long. But they're like, yeah. we could get Vincent Dutrait. <laughs> that's sad. Yeah. Um, Poor guy. King's Road, I haven't heard of that. Okay, so this, guy's, service. this guy kind of seems blue collar. He just gets the job done. Darwinots. 
doesn't seem like he ever blows my socks off, but like I'm never like distracted by like it's yeah, it's more realistic than Clemens Franz. It's kind of yeah, it's kind of like Clemens Franz, but like they're but, not cartoons, they're not. Mm-hmm. But like his color palette, like yeah, looks similar to his. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, he just yeah. like does a little bit more realistic stuff, and I feel like he's maybe a little more versatile. Mm-hmm. Like as I'm looking through some of his art, just like. Nagaraja too he did you couldn't pinpoint his art style yeah yeah like it's true I know an Ian O'Toole game when I see it on the shelf uh-huh. I know a Clemens Franz game when I see it on the shelf his stuff is very diverse it's kind of like uh he could almost like match the game yeah. yeah he's the the board game artist version of Vlada Civitali like you know I he yeah, also he did Pyramid things. of Penguin <laughs> that's He's, yeah. yeah, he's done a lot. Jappar, uh, the newer version of Jappar, I think. It looks like he's like he's like the hot artist right now. Yellow and Yangtze. Yeah. Oh, dude, he's doing all of the redos. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like he came about, and they're like, "This guy's hot. Everybody likes him. Let's just get him." Yeah. Let's get him to redo. Put him on the box. Game people complained about. Rising Five. I mean. Yeah, his style wouldn't wouldn't be like Justine said. It wouldn't be something that like stands out to me where I'm like, "Ooh, Vincent Detroit." It could be any game if he's mm-hmm. if he's uh, if he's the artist on it. I have to say, I'm really glad nowadays that the artists are getting credit. I'm noticing a lot of times, like with older games, they don't even put the artist's name on the box. But nowadays, I think every new game I've bought. There's the artist as well as the designer. I'm really yeah, glad you might to have see to that. like on older games. You might have to look on the back of the box mm-hmm. a or lot of times. Yeah, or in the rule or book. Or in the rule book. Yeah, but now now it's like designer and artist, the mm-hmm. two names on because it is box. an artistic project to yeah. Yeah. paint that box cover. I'm a lot really of times too, the to artist will be the graphic designer exactly. as well. Yeah, like I know that um, you know Tool is also the graphic designer, and that's really important in games. Yeah. Probably even more so than the art itself. Mm-hmm. Jonathan, do you like the scythe art? I do. Spoiler, Did you know it was spoilers all coming up? Plagiarized? But... Yep. <laughs> okay. Despite the controversy. All right, I won't step on you. <laughs> yeah. But that's a, yeah, Colin, that's a good question. It's a hard question. I don't know how to answer it, but yeah, I do think they need to have a, a good way to say, hey, this game is complicated. Don't, yeah, don't play it if you don't mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, it's. I think it starts with the the cover, and you could you could um, express a lot with just the art and design of the cover. Mm-hmm. But then once you like pull it out too, uh, at that point I think it's kind of free range, right? Like yeah, like it doesn't you've once bought you it. you've bought it. Uh, the only thing that I'm reluctant on is like when you flip over the box and you see it set up, mm-hmm. like if it looks it kind of has this easy looking game on the back but I don't know and that goes into like what Matt was saying about like components and and all that like I mean if if I flip over a game and I see miniatures and like high quality art and like very thematic board uh, that might be telling me that it's not my style of game exactly but, it, but, it, but that might not be the case yeah Adrenaline is a good example of that. Mm-hmm. And these kind of clues tell us more than sometimes, you know, the box says explicitly it is for this ages and it will take this long. And I'm usually like, LOL. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you say. <laughs> I'm not playing this with a 10-year-old. <laughs> I mean, like, none of us buy games blindly. 
Yeah. Exactly. I would never suggest to do that. Um, it's more of like what's going to get us to look into the game. Exactly. And so, like, you should just play to your audience. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. So now we'll get into our top three art and board games. Um, now, I with this, I didn't, I, I didn't necessarily go by the box because sometimes mm -hmm. the box art is sometimes different than what's in the game. Uh, there's one on my list that that um, fits into both things, but um, but yeah. Um, anyway, I just like I said, like these are not my favorite games. I like all these games, but. I thought about like if I'm reading a comic book, would I? Who would I? What would I want? What art do I want to see in it? Mm -hmm. None of my favorite games, because even though Renaissance era was really interesting, I don't think I want to read a comic book of the Renaissance era personally. <laughs> it, again, it could be interesting, but like that would be weird. A comic not... <laughs> book with like medieval style art. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so, starting off, my number three is Scythe. I think the art is really cool in it. It's what drew me to the game to begin with because it just looked so amazing. It looked like a whole different world. And it's like it kind of mixes in farming games. Like the look of it, mm -hmm. right? It looks like a farming game. Yeah. But also with mechs. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, like soldier type, like commanders and of the different factions. And then the art on all the cards and the board itself is like really cool um the board is really neat and there's little hidden things in it that i actually didn't mm -hmm. know about for a while i think there's like a santa claus and some other things in it oh, but really what? yeah there's like a yeti <laughs> okay when we if we play it today you have to point that out to me That's there's, awesome. there's like hidden things in the board and the components are really nice too just the whole like the whole art style of that is just like a really neat world. I don't know the controversy behind it. Like, I didn't know that it was plagiarized. So the controversy is basically every um, painting that's really cool and famous from the game, he painted over photographs or added onto existing paintings. He didn't directly plagiarize, but it's kind of sketchy that he just yeah. did a ton of painting over stuff. I didn't so know that. You pastiche them together from like Google Image Search too. Yeah. Like sometimes oh. if you like Google Image Search and that, people well, there's thread, <laughs> threads about it. Like oh, you I can look, look at this that. picture and then if you add on this picture or compare these two, it's exactly the same pose. Yeah. But now that guy was a soldier. And now he's like in a mech suit on stilts mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. But the mechs were just completely designed by yeah, right, himself. Yeah. Uh, there's actually an artist in Salt Lake that does that, that mm -hmm. buys p paintings, like old paintings, and then paints in, like, geek stuff on it. Yeah. That's a little different. And then sells them, though. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't, like, I don't really have an opinion about it. You can argue with me that that's plagiarism and it's bad, and I would agree with you. You could argue that they're just adding to art, and I would agree with you, like, I don't know. That's Andy Warhol, he's altering it in a meaningful way and is straightforward. The Scythe guy 
denied it, denied it, denied oh, it. Oh, he didn't own up to it. That's yeah. bad. Yeah. And he actually didn't change very much. He didn't change the meaning of it. He just, it's just, he changed the context. He had this peasant, he had this mech. Now they're together on the same page. That's all he did. Yeah, they're, he like photoshopped those together, then paints it over so that it's a consistent yeah. style. But I like how it looks. I'm crossing yeah. out my number three. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jacob no, I mean, Brzezowski. Yeah. And they're basing a video game off of it, too, off the art. Right? Oh, really? The, oh, the wow. world the of Scythe. It's called Iron Harvest. Yeah, Iron Harvest. It's going to be an RTS, a real-time strategy game. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I hope he doesn't get all the art royalties or license. Okay, so for me, I really like thematic art. And I know a lot of people are going to disagree with a lot of my choices. Um, Some people already have. (laughs) Um, But my number three is Carthago. Um, It's not... (laughs) (laughs) I'm already seeing the faces. Matt Matt has a face, a priceless face. Yeah, I'm looking it up now because I only played it once a while ago. Oh, wait, no, Carthago. Yeah, you talked about that. Oh, okay, that's okay. I know Carthago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, for me, that game is set kind of in like ancient Rome. There's not much to the gameplay that puts you in that situation. There's not much to the gameplay that is um, ancient Rome. Like, you could be in any time period, any time period where there's like shipping and trading and goods and things. Um, but the art really takes you and places you into that era because all of the art is based on the ancient pottery that we found with like the flat figurines, the really simple, this art style of the time period. And I really like it when board games do that. So I was about to look it up. But instead, you kind of painted the picture and it kind of, it's kind of funny because it like all came back to me. And, like, I, I get it. But I looked up Carthago on Google Images, and it's the art is, like, really good. It looks, like, really realistic. Like, <laughs> super realistic. Uh, I, you, if you Google just Carthago in Google Images, a bunch of, like, RVs come up for some reason. <laughs> okay. There's, like, an RV rental <laughs> thing. So that was my number three, Carthago. Uh. My number three is Pax Pamir Second Edition. Um, the pieces kind of go with what they do in the gameplay. I like how those really pretty columns, they're kind of abstract ivory pieces, can either be standing up to be soldiers or laying down to be roads. And I like how the mat rolls up, and I like the metal coins. Um, I don't really like the card art, but I, it's better than the first edition, if you've ever looked at that. Um, and I should be noted that I hate the game itself, but I'll give it credit for being a really good-looking game. Yeah. Um, it kind of looks more yeah. abstract. I, a lot of abstracts look good. I think this is actually my favorite abstract-looking game. Yeah, it, the game is a work of art. The metal coins, the player mat is like the woven thing that looks like a mm-hmm. T-mat with uh, some line art on it, maybe embroidery style. It's not actual embroidery. Those blocks are beautiful but i like cloth boards i'd be ready if more people started doing cloth boards my honorable mentions for uh abstract i have to mention are azul and link i think those are also really pretty games i don't know about cloth board like how the pieces stay on it do they stand up fine Uh, yeah i feel like that's heavy 
If the game is too involved, yeah, I guess it wouldn't work as well. Yeah. But yeah. you just have basically, I mean, think of it as a rock, like a stone sitting or standing up or laying down on it. I gotcha. Yeah, it's. I like the art. I and even the color, like the card art. The yellow, the green, and the pink. I like. I thought that's yeah, a good kind choice. of pastel yeah. light colors. Those yeah, I haven't. I haven't nice. played it. Don't. I looked at it though, and yeah, yes, look the look at it, the look at it does. It. The look of it is <laughs> yeah. nice. Yeah. I I don't ever want to play it, but I like the look of it. All right, my top third game art is Empires of the Void Two slash all of Ryan Lockett. I like his art style. He does the whole thing for every game. Art, graphic design, design of the game, publishing. But his games, the box art is usually a work of art, Mm -hmm. especially on the newer ones. And then within the game, every card is beautiful painting. Uh, To me, he looks like video gamey and kind of like art out of a side-scroller, so my favorite art that he does is that side-scroller that he does, you know, where you're jumping over the snake. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it's got, like, you you can name one game and it covers, like, almost all of his games, though, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're all kind of built in the same world. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the art's fine. Personally, like, I feel like I'm done. I'm kind of sick of it. Like, I want to see, I want to see a game of his, like, with art from somebody else now. Like, just because, like, I'm sick of seeing the same characters with, like, no expression on their face and, like, hardly anything going on with their face. But I, I understand. I, it's, a, it's a style that, I, that, like, I appreciate. It's just, like... I think I'm with you. I recognize it as an achievement to do all these cards, do it all yourself, and have it look pretty good. Yeah. Uh, he maybe could move on. Yeah. But I think his newest game is, like, a slightly different, right? Sleeping Gods. Looking oh, into it, yeah. like, it looks, like, a little more detailed and maybe it's not of the same world. Yeah, not as many... Portrait styles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So my number two is a game that I just like, kind of okay. Like it's situational. It's fun with more with higher player count, and um, there is a broken mechanic in it. But luckily, we're not talking about the gameplay. It's the art that draws me into it. And it's Abyss. So Abyss looks like it's um, like airbrushed, like hyper realism of these like underwater creatures, and the the. Um, the box itself, the, the box art, is like a giant fish face, like humanoid fish face. And there's actually four different boxes that you can get, all with different faces on them. It's like, it drew me to the game, like, that's really cool, and like, um, almost made me blind by it, but I didn't. I went home and researched it and like, found that it could be a, kind of a cool game. And it is kind of a cool game, but the art is really what shines on it, the cards, the board, all of it looks like really cool and that's yeah number two is abyss okay my number two we've already talked about and people have made their opinions clear on it um is toi well we haven't talked about the art of it no. yeah <laughs> no you guys have talked about the art you guys mm-hmm. don't i said it step looked like it was you. drawn by a 10 year old yeah so again <laughs> i really like historical art I like that medieval style of the flat, no perspective painting is like one of my favorite styles of painting. And so I love to see that on the game. And then the other thing about it is that it's, um, the art is very functional. The, like, you know, you know what each worker placement spot does, you know, this is where you go to get yellow dice. This is where you go to get red dice. This is where you go to get white dice. 
um, I think they didn't let the art take over the function of the game and the gameplay, which happens sometimes. And like I said, that's one of my favorite styles of art. So I really like it, but I can see why some people would hate it. I don't hate it. Just yeah, like, I don't hate just it either. Doesn't, it just <laughs> yeah. doesn't register. Like, I, I mean, don't care. Like, I the game's like good. that he went for that style and that it is all consistent and it works. But generally, I don't like that style. Yeah. Yeah, and I like how there's only three colors in the game. I like how it's just red, yellow, and black. It kind of works. Mm-hmm. Um, my number two is another game that I'm not too fond of, but appreciate the art, and that's Wingspan. Uh, she did an awesome job drawing all of those birds. I really like birds. I have membership to the aviary and she just captured them. I also love those little eggs and the little pastel colors, even though they don't need to be different colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dice look good. The board looks good. Um, that's my... I didn't want to just do a bunch of the same kind, so that's like my Stegmeier entry into my list, but of course all his other games look awesome too. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you guys size, I agree. It looks awesome. I actually don't like the different colored eggs like I, when I first got it I was wanting to like paint them all like cream color and maybe like put like specks on them uh-huh. like specks would be way cool yeah. yeah I've seen somebody who drew like little speckles on mm-hmm. the eggs and they look cool I just don't like the like Easter look of it like I think Easter is like my least favorite holiday and that reminds <laughs> me of Easter mm-hmm. yeah but uh, but I agree with the art like I, oh, the birds are really cool looking like re- it looks like you're looking through like a book about birds mm-hmm. right like if you're bird watching yeah. like it, it matches that really well yeah <laughs> alright my number two is Scythe uh, we've already talked about the controversy that was, it initially drew me in with the art back the back the initial Kickstarter still like it a minor tangent there so all the mechs and all the meeples look different do you guys like it when games do that yes because most people do I actually don't I don't know why I just really? want it to be consistent but I think I'm the only one <laughs> I really like it yeah I like yeah, it yeah, I like um, and it's functional for like colorblind people mm-hmm. yeah sure to sure. know like what colors what is yeah. when they when they do different components um, but I like it. I know that there was like actually a big complaint about um, the wind gambit, how the ships weren't different. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I didn't care. Like it didn't bother me. But like you're not colorful. Well, you might as so. well match the rest yeah. of the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like the mechs were different. Why aren't the ships different? But I don't know. Yeah. I don't care. But yeah. Um, so my number one is a game that I just again like. Uh, it's not. It's by far not my favorite, and I've never played it with a single soul. I've only played it solo, for good reason. It's Arkham Horror, the LCG, or Arkham Horror, the card game. Um, I like horror, just in general, or the macabre. Um, even though, like, H.P. Lovecraft is almost like in board gaming, like an offset of horror. It's not like, yeah. it doesn't almost feel like a horror game. Or you don't, yeah. when I think of, like, horror games, I don't think about... Arkham Horror, Arkham, yeah. Ar- Arkham Asylum. Thematically, the Not Arkham Who Asylum and stuff are Batman. supposed to be so scary, and it never comes across in the gameplay yeah. of these things. Yeah. yeah. The game's fine. Like, um, playing it solo was just, like, kind of fun. It's a lot of luck of the draw, because you're drawing out things to, like, see if you uh, win or whatever. But uh, the story is really, like, captivating and, like, what's happening in it. But the art is really cool. Like, I really like the art in it. And there's, like, a ton of it, because there's just, like, a ton of content for this. And, like, like that's what, like, 
drew me into the game to begin with, and then like I could just sit and like look through the cards and like kind of be in awe of the the horrific art that's that's of it. Even the characters themselves is really cool. Yeah. And you write so hard for Halloween, you're just like dissing all these other holidays. Your top three are all whore. <laughs> Pastels suck. <laughs> I like April Halloween and October Halloween. We should. I agree. Um, okay, so my number one is another one that's not uh, not like everybody's favorite for gameplay, but it's Sienna. Um, this is an older game. I can't remember the designer, but what they did for the for the board is instead of like distinct worker placement spots they took a painting and I don't know for the life of me if it's a real painting or if they painted one in this style it is it's two real paintings meshed together okay so they mashed two real renaissance paintings together and so on the one side of the board you've got your fields and so there's like a wheat field and an olive field and a flax field and I can't remember what other kinds of fields renaissance landscape and but they're all different colors and so instead of having like a specific spot for like wheat you just have that area of the board and you put the cubes on there and then um, on the other side of the board there's the town and it's a real painting and your little worker once you're a banker hops around on the real town so it's like you're on a real town hopping around doing stuff and then the card art is quite pretty as well if you play the advanced variant with all the special cards. And so all three of your entries were this 2D Renaissance style. You just Sienna's not two dimensional. It's pretty. Yes, it is. Okay, sure. It's <laughs> <laughs> good so that went, we have. Yeah. I, I went like complete opposite of like as far as the style goes, but that's I think it's good. So you are all about it. We need yes. to have one person <laughs> representing. And what those artists are going for yes. and accomplishing while they're going for mm-hmm. yeah. uh, my number one is Pipeline it's what? the one I like from O'Toole the best um, yeah so for explanation would I rather go to the Grand Canyon and see all these natural wonders or would I rather go to Dubai and just look at the tall buildings I'd rather go to Dubai I think oil pipelines are like terrible and but also like beautiful and I like his art in the background that's just like blinking lights at the oil rigs that I guess you're watching from your oil, your wood paneled, whiskey drunk, you know, CEO's chair. Um, and then I love the pipe colors. I like how those fit together. I really like his color choices. These oil rigs are just terrible and fun to look at. And so if, I'm going to change my number one since you picked that uh, to uh, just a blank canvas. <laughs> yeah, I thought so, you liked O'Toole. Uh, I do. I like in that game, his graphic design is good. It fits the game very well, but I don't see much art in it. There's like a little piece of art on the... Oh, for sure. The, oh, yeah. Oh, it's really board. a simple skyline. The yeah. rest is just to let you to know, probably just a desert. Yeah, functionality, it's like really good. The graphic design is good. It's I really it's like, spare. It gets me in the mood to just drill, baby, drill Sarah Palin. Fair enough. <laughs> trying to think of the box. It's just like a... The box is like white and it has a little... It's blue it's and it has a little strip like you're on the edge of a water. And you see the lights blinking of the rays yeah, in the I distance. Played that and then they're like reflecting. And there's just red polluted sunset. So How did he make the art blink? About? That's amazing. <laughs> 
I'll show you. You'll see. It's blinking. <laughs> so. Oh, we'll make you. I think it's simple. Yeah. Too. I'm I looking like at the it. The box. The box art is. It almost looks like a real picture from afar. But I'm looking at the actual like setup of the game, and yeah, I guess if you like the pipes a lot. I like everything he's done, with maybe the exception of Gallerist. To me, that's a little bit edgy. The colors are a little bit out there. In a game that's supposed to be about good art, unless this was intentional, I think it's pretty weird looking. I think it might have been a little intentional. <laughs> did he do building. all those art, like all the art pieces in it? No. Oh, he did like half of them. He did like half of them. Yeah, but they did, they had other artists. Guest artists come in. Yeah. But he did all of the graphic design, I think. Mm-hmm. All right, my number one art, not necessarily gameplay, uh, is Ashes Rise of the Phoenix Born. Uh, the artist is Fernando Suarez. So you've probably seen the box over there. Um, it's a white box, has really realistic uh, magic people. They're cool, crazy metal monsters or. All sorts of creatures that just roll the dice and fight each other. And is this a living card game? It's a uh, kind of. It's from Platt, so it's not a living card game. Cause oh, that's they can't call it FFG, that, yeah. but it's uh, basically fight each other with dice and cards and asymmetric starting powers and uh, you can buy new decks you can mix up the other decks I don't own it anymore but the art is very beautiful yeah I'm looking at it now yeah, it's... compared to like Magic the Gathering does it have bad aesthetic? yeah it's about the same as Magic except I would say this one has a lot better like integration of the art and graphic design. Well, with Magic, there's like several artists, right? This is just well, one artist doing all the cards? This is one artist, so it's all consistent, yeah. which is not true for Magic, and Magic has changed the face of the card, not the back of the card, but the face of the card design multiple times. Um, I will give a shout-out for Ian O'Toole with... Lishboa as oh, an armament. Like it's so like elegant looking and it's like more just like I mean the people, like the art on the like cards and such, like I could go either way, like I don't really care, but just like the graphic design of it, the way it looks, like the way that it's like tile looking from like Portugal is like really cool for me. I love that big overproduced white cube. Uh-huh. Oh. Cube, yeah. I really oh, yeah. like the Kickstarter with all the special things and like that's way overproduced, but it's fun. Yeah, that one falls in the same category as Trois for me. Is he went for a style and it really works for the game. I don't like that art style as much. That was our top three board game art. So we had to move into the board game overflow, the closet, basically, uh, because there's an X-Wing tournament here at Demolition. So if you're into X-Wing, come on down. I mean, you can't now because... There's not an X-Wing tournament now. Yeah, but in general. Um, anyway, we are back with Christo and the Christo's Cave of Crowdfunding Wonders. All right. Uh... Hey everyone, 
Uh, this week, actually, I wanted to talk about uh, kind of like FOMO, fear of missing out, exclusives, that kind of stuff. There is a Kickstarter happening right now, which kind of prompted this in a way. Uh, it's called the Simon Time Machine. What the Simon Time Machine is, uh, it's the Cool Mini or Not. They're actually, they renamed themselves, I think, to Simon Limited or something. So they're not even Cool Mini or Not. Uh, anyway. Come on. They want to be called Come on. Come on. Yeah, come on. Whatever. Uh, anyway, it's, it's <laughs> hilarious. Like oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, kind of a joke. But uh, anyway, what they're doing is they are doing a Kickstarter Technically, I think the Kickstarter is for like a soundtrack or something to Blood Rage or whatever, and like some art book or whatever. I don't know, just like. Uh, but really, what a lot of people are excited about is they're redoing a lot of the exclusives from previous Kickstarters, and also they're doing uh, like a Rising Sun pledge with all the exclusives. Basically, like a lot of exclusives from really old Kickstarters as well. And that's Hold on, kind can, of... we, can we, let's back it up a little bit. A soundtrack to Blood Rage? Like a CD? Yeah, yeah, like like actual soundtracks or something. I mean, I actually didn't pay attention to that kind of stuff, but uh, technically that's that's the new stuff. I'm wondering I... if anybody even owns a CD player. <laughs> it's yeah. probably not a CD, you right? You can put it's it in your like, like, yeah, yeah, probably like a download. It's probably a download, actually. I don't, like I said, I actually, like, I don't, th I don't think even know if anyone really cares about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it's a package deal. You have to buy it to get the exclusives. Uh, that's evil. No, actually, I'm, I'm not even sure how that works because, like, uh, they don't have uh, tiers listed for the, the for the soundtrack. I think only they only have tiers for like. Uh, basically, their thing is like, either get the Rising Sun and uh, what's the latest? Uh, not Project Elite, like some zombie side stuff. I think. The oh, yeah. oh, Invader. Uh, Zombicide Invader stuff, yeah. They have, like, pledges with uh, really expensive pledges, by the way, like $240 for, like, everything included in Rising Sun, like, two... Including the base game? Yeah, including the base game. But like, if you wanted just the, the extra stuff, can you do that, too? Uh, I'm actually not sure. I don't think so. I, it doesn't didn't sound like it. Uh, you could... Uh, they actually say in the Kickstarter, like, back for a dollar, and you'll see all the uh, other stuff in the pledge manager. <laughs> Did oh, you do that's that? that's dumb. <laughs> Huh? Did you do that? Uh, I did actually, but yeah, I was gonna go into only it a because. Dollar, but... So anyway, <laughs> just the existence of that Kickstarter prompted comments like, uh, "Wow, Simon are so good at extracting cash from customers." That's actually from our um, chat. Yeah. Also, just browsing <laughs> through the comments on the Kickstarter is just kind of entertaining because there's just like so many like charged comments, like just mm -hmm. the controversy. There's yeah. like. There's comments like, this will be a bloodbath, and like, I don't know. <laughs> it's, just, it's just, it gets pretty crazy. It gets pretty crazy. So the reason it gets crazy is because, um, like I was saying, a lot of the games that Simon publishes have a lot of exclusives, and unfortunately, some of them are like affecting gameplay as well. So, mm -hmm. like, if you don't back their Kickstarter, the thing is, like, part of your game is kind of missing. Um, and there's I been some. Uh, really kind of old games which people thought would never be reprinted or anything and they are uh kind of uh technically they're saying it's a warehouse clearance sale yeah something. are they just emptying a warehouse that they have are they low on cash right now i have no idea i doubt they're low on cash <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean well they're not they low on cash anymore cash flow <laughs> issues 
they spent too much on this thing. Like, don't Maybe. get the money. Or them. they're just saying that, and they just are just doing. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. So this is reminding me of the video game play to win kind of thing. This is like the board game <laughs> equivalent. You know, like you have to pay more to get all of the components to the game. Like, are you kidding me? Oh, do you mean yeah. like the I the, like the video trend. game like apps? Where, like, you can just, like, buy resources and such? Yes. Or, like, Halo, Halo 5. Oh. Or Halo 5, uh, yeah. You can just buy the super invisibility that just you win if you buy it, <laughs> you know? Um, I got gotcha, yeah. to seem like that. Like, you have to pay more and more and more to get the whole game. Uh, yeah, no, it's particularly bad to see So, anyway, uh, one thing that they did with the Kickstarter is people are complaining about certain things. So... At first, I think they had a limit of five things that you could get. Like, I don't know how that's going to work exactly. They limited it to one thing per account uh, because people are basically thinking about, like, buying as much as possible, as fast as possible, and maybe reselling it in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that they did is kind of, like, weird. This uh, first 48 hours going to be exclusive to previous backers of Simon things now. It used to be just people who pledged for like the expensive stuff, which starts at like 240, I think, for the Rising Sun all in. Used to be only those people were gonna be allowed in the first 48 hours, and then people complained, and they changed it to everyone who's backed a Simon project ever is gonna have 48 hours exclusive. So, anyway, there's a lot of like, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on there, um, basically. And uh, yeah, um, like I say, uh, the, I, I kind of see exclusives as like a two-way thing. Um, there's a lot of exclusives on Kickstarter. I mean, to begin with, actually, ideally, the game itself is an exclusive. I think that's the ideal case of Kickstarter. Is like uh, it's only available on Kickstarter. It never come out retail. It never comes out retail. Yeah. Second um, Continent, for example. Yeah, but realistically, a lot of people use Kickstarter to kind of upsell on exclusives and Simon is I feel like particularly bad on that uh, there's kind of I thought about it and um, uh, there's there's kind of two parts to two sides of exclusives I guess there's exclusive which affect gameplay and there's exclusive which are co- cosmetic mm-hmm. uh, for me at least um, or add-ons right or, like or, or add-ons or whatever yeah um, so anyway personally for me um, I think I'm way more bothered than uh, about like gameplay kind of exclusives rather than Definitely, cosmetic. Sure. Um, I've been thinking about it lately. I used to be kind of like a, a, this thing kind of exploits like a completionist thing that everyone has going on with mm-hmm. board games in particular. I think as well because you're like building a collection and you're missing something from your collection. Mm-hmm. You're missing something from a game, so it's like oh. But lately, I've been accepting that, like, maybe, like, standees are fine instead of miniatures or whatever, or, like, yeah. I don't have to have the acrylic tokens or whatever, mm-hmm. or, you know, um, whatever. But when part of the game's missing, that's kind of different. And I feel like Simon's kind of kind of bad as far as I go. How, how do you guys feel about the exclusives in general? And uh, just, uh... I don't care. I, or, like, <laughs> honestly, I don't care. Like... Like, okay, so let's use, like, something like Blood Rage, for example. Like, I have Blood Rage. I think the game's fine. It's, it's like, not something I want to play over and over again, but, like, for what it is, it's fine. I don't have the need to even buy what's available to, like, add in different factions. Like, I don't care. Maybe if I cared about the game more, but if it's, like, more miniatures in a game, like, that, that I'm never going to be able to get, 
I'm perfectly fine with that. That's the cosmetic, I guess, side of what you're talking about. Um, as far as like gameplay goes, if like I don't feel like I'm missing something if there's an expansion I don't have necessarily. I mean, if everybody's boasting about it and saying like it fixes the game and it's so much better with the expansion, um, then I might have some hard feelings about not being able to get it. For a good example of that is like Champions of Midgard. Like the base game, I'll probably never play again without both the expansions put in. So in that case, I do feel like I'm, I would be missing out on the game if I couldn't get those expansions. Right. But if I only play the base game and never have an exposure to any of the other content, am I missing out on anything if I don't know? Um, I don't really have a problem with Kickstarter exclusives. I think, um, especially simple things like, I'm thinking of Lisboa as the example of the Kickstarter exclusives or like the... The Pope actually looks like a little Pope. Screen printed, like, yeah. stuff. Um, Screen printed bag, for example. Yeah. Like, who cares about to that? Me, Those are cosmetic, though. Yeah, yeah it's cosmetic. Yeah, 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 yeah. To me, stuff like that as a Kickstarter are just... I don't know. I think it's kind of the reward for taking the risk of doing a Kickstarter. I mean, like, we talked last time when we talked about Kickstarter about the risk of it. There are risks involved. Mm -hmm. So to me, these exclusives are just kind of that reward for taking the risk and believing in that Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah or, or overpaying, I gotta say. And or, yeah, sure. overpaying. <laughs> yeah. Paying a little extra, And I, I think if you're gonna overpay, you should get a little extra. Yeah. yeah. Besides just getting it early. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of very polarizing to me because, yes, you are paying extra, and yes, there's some risk. Uh, you get a reward for it, and it's nice if you're on that side and like you're like, yeah, I have something exclusive. But it's also kind of annoying if you're outside and you're like, well, they have some exclusives, so screw me, I guess. Like, <laughs> too bad. <laughs> I have a an incomplete game. I don't know, whatever. Um, I had actually had, I thought about some games with um, exclusives. I know Blood Rage is kind of like, okay, whatever, just monsters. Like, uh, Rising Sun, I think, has some significant exclusives. I think uh, some of the, like, uh, powers you can pick up between rounds. I don't know if anyone really loves that game around here, though. Um a game that I've been wanting to play for a while has some significant significant exclusives. I think World of Smog, that's another Simon game. The first one, not Rise of Moloch. The first one is kind of like oh. this abstract like market movement game. And I feel like so much of the game is missing if you don't have the exclusive. It has like a asymmetric player powers kind of, and you only get four in the retail game. You get like four more, I think, in with the exclusives. Um, I don't know how well they're balanced, but I feel like it's missing um, some stuff. Western Legends actually had some exclusives as well. I feel like that's kind of significant because um, they're market things you can buy, and if you have the retail game, they're just missing from the market, like mm -hmm. items, basically. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of fairly significant to gameplay. Mm -hmm. That's, that's kind of, yeah. Uh, some other ones just throwing out there. Petricor... Anachrony had some gameplay exclusives in addition to the cosmetic. Fifty uh, First Eight actually has some exclusives. And speaking of which, I want to talk about like uh, kind of there's some negative uh, exclusives, which is kind of <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. Which uh, someone has mentioned before, like you know, like a lot of the people when they do Kickstarters, um, a lot of the designers, like some people actually ask for exclusives, which is kind of awkward. Um, there's a game called Windwards recently, which people are like asking for a stretch goal or something, which is like super weird. So there's, the, the designers were just like, I don't know, we're going to think about how to like 
fit this card in or something. Oh, so anyway, bad. yeah, yeah there's, that's bad. That yeah, there's there's some uh, situations where I feel like the exclusives are actually kind of not very well thought out. They're just like uh, an excuse to have an exclusive, and they're not very well designed. Um, actually, some ex- examples of that. I haven't played it yet, but uh, there was a game called Gardens of Babylon. And the base game looked really interesting. You're kind of building these tiles. You're planting gardens or whatever. And it's like a pyramid and you're climbing. And the tiles have like rivers that flow in the 3D. Kind of like uh, that jumping bird on cubes game from the 80s or whatever. Um, anyway, it looked really cool. The exclusive was a guy who randomly walks around and ruins gardens, the Persian, I think. Mm-hmm. And basically, for one thing, you can just print and play it, like you just need a token and die. The other thing is like, the game is like this like kind of positive Euro game kind of a thing, and that turns it into like a random take that, ruin somebody's game kind of mm-hmm. thing. So I was like, this is hilarious. I actually don't want this because it's like, it, it just sounds terrible. And that was a Kickstarter exclusive. So I was like, mm-hmm. it's like almost like a negative fail incentive to get me to back that Kickstarter, you know. So there's there's stuff like that. And unfortunately, actually, maybe I'll show you sometime. Um, I have a expansion for 51st State, which I think also kind of falls into this um, situation. It's called Three Cities. Uh, there's cities that can be raised by anyone, which is the problem, or they can be made you can make a deal with anyone can make a deal with them mm-hmm. so basically what happens is they end up helping the, the red player the guy that makes a lot of guns because he just yeah. raises them and everyone who made a deal with them is crude so it's like really like stupid i think i don't yeah. know it just kind of never worked and that's kind of a kickstarter exclusive that i uh, exclusive that i got so there's definitely this thing where sometimes the design of exclusives is not very well thought out and like maybe they're not even worth getting um that, no that i think if, if you're demanding an exclusive like <laughs> is it going to get play tested in time like because exactly. normally like the game the game goes on kickstarter it's almost complete right like yeah. the design is yeah. locked in yep and yeah. so for them to force designers to go back and try to fit this thing in is just like yeah. asking for trouble. Put yep. them on the spot, yeah. like telling a comedian, make me laugh, funny guy. Yeah, yeah. 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 So that's, yeah. that's kind of how it is. That's weird. So for me, like the gameplay exclusives are fine if it could be considered like a literal expansion. If it doesn't take away like a central mechanic of the game. That's fine to me, again, because these people are taking a risk with putting money down before the product is finished. Um, But if it's something like it's going to take away a component of the game, like a main component, I'm not really cool with that. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. There was there was a 870 Vikings that came out with with a modular expansion, and like I felt like that should have been released, like the base game. And then they should, like we were talking about before, just like unleash it to the world and then make an expansion later for it. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like those, mo- looking into it, doesn't seem like those modules work really well. Mm-hmm. I actually looked at that game and they sounded kind of cool. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's just me. So, yeah. My problem with what Justine was talking about is if it is uh, an actual expansion, sometimes it should have been in the base game. Sure. That's more frequent on Kickstarter than general publishing I believe yep. mm-hmm. there's definitely splitting expansions and upselling actually there's a game I was going to talk about that I don't know if we're going to get to which has that 
uh, featured in spades. Anyway, um, speaking of which, by the way, uh, Prêt-à-Porter, that's uh, Ignacy's later reprint, redesign, mm-hmm. reprint, yeah, slash, the reprint, fashion show. slash, re-theme, yeah. basically second edition. He was joking, he's, they're a second edition company, and it may be true, actually. <laughs> basically, every game has a second edition mm-hmm. from Portal Games, and it's better. Arguably. Is the theme still fashion? Yeah, it's the same game, Runway? but it's kind of like cleaned up slightly. I don't know what the cleanup is exactly. But anyway, um, he was saying the game did really well on Kickstarter and he was like tempted to like add stretch goals for weird stuff and he was like I just don't want to like ruin the game because uh, he actually like posted something like that on Kickstarter I was thinking about like making more stretch goals for like weird gameplay stuff and I just feel like it's I don't want to like tack it on to this game which feels complete at the end so I kind of thought that was interesting and I respected that Mm -hmm. Uh, that the Kickstarter has a lot of cosmetic exclusives uh, basically the art on the cards the dresses or whatever you're a fashion designer you're making dresses is completely different from the retail game but the gameplay is the same so I think that's pretty well sure, done actually because some people don't care some people do care uh, I care but anyway <laughs> so yeah um, Speaking of which, there's actually, I have some funny examples of negative cosmetic exclusives as well. You know, how I I was talking about gameplay negatives. Sometimes there's actually cosmetic negatives. Um, There was a game called Railroad Rivals. uh, Kind of a towel laying game with like uh, connecting trains or something, shares, whatever. I can't remember exactly what it was. The game had wooden tiles, which looked really bad, I think, actually. I was looking at the Kickstarter and I was like, you're going to pay extra for wooden tiles, which are not colorful. They're just like etched with black, you know, like oh, monochrome yeah. or whatever. You are just like etched with black or printed or something. Uh-huh. And the base game has like colorful tiles <laughs> uh, and they're paper, Weird. obviously. But like the exclusive high price tier was the wooden tile game, which in my opinion looks horrible. I mean, you can look at it. And, uh, Did it come with both though? Uh, maybe, actually. Yeah, maybe not, actually. That's that's kind of funny. I can't yeah. remember. Because then if you want the regular tiles, <laughs> you have to buy the base game. <laughs> no, but I mean, that's like insane. Like, why would you buy the, like, the tiles? Why would you even add it on? Yeah, right? why would yeah. you have the wooden tiles if you're not going to play with them? That's like, they mm-hmm. cost like double the base game yeah. or something, which is just insane. I was like, this is epic fail. Like, why would I ever buy something that's more expensive which looks worse in my opinion like this is just hilarious yeah that happened to me with above and below the kickstarter exclusive for that is the resources you get like the Mm -hmm. fish pots whatever you can you get wooden tokens for those but that's actually not great because then you don't get to see his paintings of those things and you're stacking those up and the wood ones are like quarter inch thick yeah as opposed to like the discs which are really thin mm-hmm. and stackable they don't fall down mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. so yeah sometimes actually cardboard cardboard oddly enough is just better um another small example copenhagen i don't think i care for those acrylic tiles i actually like the paper better like the acrylic tiles kind of take you out of the the game like they don't fit you know the rest of the game's cardboard so like it should be like I feel like the whole game should be acrylic or like the whole game should be cardboard you know I don't know it just like feels weird to me they're fine they look really good but like they have a different feel which I feel like you know like you're playing like a game 
with the components of a different game kind of a thing. Oh, I don't know yeah. if you're getting yeah. what's what I'm saying. Um, I think a negative Kickstarter exclusive for Matt and I tends to be like the miniatures. Um, I think for the most part, with going back to what we talked about with go like looking at the back of the box, a lot of times if I look at the back of the box and I see miniatures, like I'm out. Yeah. Because it could I be a turn off. If yeah. you don't know the game, yeah. I feel like a lot of times, like, you're paying a lot of money for those miniatures. And, like, how much, what's the value? Especially since I really don't necessarily like games that do miniatures. Mm -hmm. Those tend, not all the time. I definitely have games that have miniatures that I really enjoy. But um, a lot of times, they're not my favorite type of game. So, for me, having that miniature exclusive, like, I'm definitely not paying for that. Yeah. Oh, Council of Four, I like the European version. The whole look of it way better until it became like Simonified. Mm -hmm. Like they don't have the three inch plastic figures. They don't have the figures. They're yeah. like they just have cubes. They're cubes. Just cubes. And the cubes move. And they have this really cool little like uh, cardboard box that you assemble to where when you push them off, they like actually fall off the little cardboard box. I thought that was really neat to like oh, push yeah. and see them fall off. And like I don't like the art. In, in the American version or the big miniatures like they just seem like a pain to like put away like I'd rather just bog, bag up like cubes <laughs> yeah. than like put them in their spots and they even have like a, a picture of like how they're supposed to go in and that just seems like way too much trouble to have these things in a game that you don't need like I don't need miniatures yeah. in that game at all that's the big thing that's kept Matt and I from buying Capsule at Four is we're really just paying for the miniatures yeah and the price goes up too yeah, like it could have been a way cheaper way game up. And for what it is, it should be a cheap game. There's not a lot of game in it. It's just kind of fun. Yeah. It's just kind of like a more complex, like, ticket to ride yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And I would have much rather, like, I would have almost paid a little bit more to have the, the basic copy of it, honestly, to get the European yeah, version. Yeah, it might still be available, actually. But, yeah, it's kind of funny with Simon Miniatures putting them away. Yeah, it's the, the Simon ritual, basically, just fitting all the miniatures after you're done playing and then taking them out. It takes a while. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of fun, like, struggling for like half an hour I think four of us to put away Rising Sun with Rising Sun I was there I didn't which even was, play the game I just jumped hilarious. into the, the yeah, second yeah. game of putting it away <laughs> we yeah. literally spent game like half two. an hour 45 minutes when we just couldn't figure out there's no like instructions that I gave how to put it away and there's so many miniatures it's just mm -hmm. like and are you yeah. sitting not intuitive yeah what shape should fit into which yeah sections yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was pretty hilarious i was like holy crap this is insane like we're never gonna figure it, it just felt like we're never gonna figure it out anyway um cool uh just a small thing um there's some um i guess kickstarters which have kind of started doing this it's not a very common trend but uh there's kind of early well early backer actually is very very common um, there's also repeat backer, which is not as common, but like uh, board cubator, space race, and Project L and stuff. They have a thing where if you back their previous Kickstarter, you get five dollars off or something. Uh, there's Stone Meyer Champion. I feel like is kind of that as well. Like you're kind of a repeat backer kind of a program. Just customer, yeah, except it's not Kickstarter anymore. Customer loyalty. I mean, yeah, it's not Kickstarter yeah. necessarily. The Simon thing with the previous backers. How do you guys feel about that? Does it bother you? Does it make you not want to back Kickstarter if it has like a 24-hour, like, get it for cheaper thing or like get an exclusive? I don't know. Does anyone have any thoughts um, about that? 
I think, again, going back to if you're willing to back a game that early, go for it. Like, I feel like it is kind of, again, giving a little bit of an incentive to back a game early in its Kickstarter. Because, like, for me, we've talked about this before, when I'm looking at Kickstarter, if anything hasn't met its goal, I'm out. Like, I'm not going to... I'm not going to back it until it's met its goal. It seems counterintuitive. So you're a but late like, backer. Yeah, I'm not going to... I'm not interested in like backing a project and hoping that it goes. Um, and then I guess it's kind of different. So I know a lot of places use Kickstarter as like a sort of a retail space. Pre-sale, where, right, yeah, yeah. Where the game's like basically been produced. Mm-hmm. But there's also kind of that sense of these games wouldn't make it to retail if there wasn't this whole Kickstarter weird economy thing going on. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of appreciate the people who are willing to pay a ton of money to get all of the Kickstarter exclusives, maybe get $10 off to back early so that later on I can buy the retail version that doesn't have all those fancy things. So I appreciate the marketing and what they're doing with the with the early backer thing, I understand it, but what it feels like to me is catering to wealthy people yeah. who can back like that. Uh-huh. And like some of us see something go up and go, I got to wait till next paycheck and yeah, they can't back it early. So they don't get that benefit. And those are the people that need the discount. Yeah. That's and true. so I don't like that aspect of it. That. Yeah. I think it favors the super fans and the speculators and I don't really like it there, but I don't mind it as much as I once did. Yeah. I'm actually kind of the same way. I used to really hate that kind of stuff. And I mean, I still do. Uh, by the way, the funny thing is, I feel like the early 24 hours, 48 hours, three day thing is pretty dumb. Actually, I wish no one would do it. I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to build a snowball like hype. Cause like mm-hmm. if a Kickstarter explodes, everyone's like, Oh, it must be good. Um, and just yeah. everyone kind of like, oh, I must back it. Uh, but Kickstarter actually doesn't take your money until the very end anyway. So basically what they're incentivizing is people that like, I don't know, they're just like always on Kickstarter and just like, yeah. or just exactly. always sub- subscribe to everything, read all the newsletters, like just so they can like jump on the button, basically. But I don't think money is the issue there. It's just uh, like, just, I guess, just favors people who are just super always on Kickstarter maybe yeah. I don't know which but maybe kinda, they should be I, rewarded because they're like yeah. consistently like <laughs> backing games it's almost um, like uh, like drugs or something I like, forgot <laughs> I forgot that the, your money doesn't go through right away it doesn't yeah. go through until you yeah. back but there's still the issue of like people having to budget their money and like yeah, wait till the next paycheck definitely. to see if they can fit yeah. it into their budget so like I think that that still comes into play I don't think it's maliciously doing that I think it's unconsciously doing that yeah. But I do think that it could favor wealthy people that could just, like, spend money willy-nilly. Yeah, it, it kind of definitely bothers me, though. When I see a Kickstarter like that, I kind of, like, don't want to back it if I'm not one of those cool people in the first 48 hours or whatever, like, at all, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know, depending. You feel like a sucker because, like, yeah. everyone's yeah. getting a discount in your yeah. 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 Right. That's what I wanted to bring up is, like, board games, they're businesses, they're trying to make money. Yeah, So they definitely all are. of this falls under... Oh, early backer, yes, that's a ploy to make money. Exclusive, that's a ploy to make money. Yeah. But yeah, their businesses, that's their whole thing. Is, yeah. That we act like it's 
super friendly and the designers talk to people on BGG, but they're still trying to make money. On the other hand, if you, uh, it's easy to get a bad reputation in the board game community mm -hmm. if you mm -hmm. mess people up. Oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. There's a, there, there's like a worldwide <laughs> was, knitting circle in board games because of BGG. <laughs> like, yeah. we can yeah. just like... Yeah, BGG yeah. is actually kind of insane. There's like this central brain of, I don't know, board gaming. Yeah. It's, I, it's weird. I definitely don't begrudge anyone trying to make money. I just don't want to feel exploited in the process. Yeah, yeah. It, it, uh, some some things kind of do feel dirty to, to, to me, at least. I don't know. Um, and it's always the bigger companies, too, that doesn't seem like they're hurting is the ones that are doing yes, it. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the smaller companies are, yeah. are not doing that. That's the other thing is I feel like uh, someone like Simon doing it versus like someone who's never published a board game doing it, kind of a different vibe. Definitely but different. Um, yep. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, how about a uh, big topic is kind of like backing to resale, actually. Um, have, so how do you feel about that? Do you feel like if you're buying a game that someone is reselling and shrink from Kickstarter and never played it? Like, do you feel like, or f selling at an inflated price, I don't know, uh, do you feel like they're trying to, does it bother you that they're trying to, like, uh, rip people off? I have really feel strong feelings off? about this. Yeah. I'll, yeah, yeah, I'll let Justine go first, um, though. So, first of all, I would never do this because <laughs> that is just way too much work. I've thought about selling the board games I have, and that's just so much work. I mean, uh, speculation, like a stock yeah. market of board games? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think if it's... Because I've seen on Kickstarter a lot of ways that someone... Like, board game stores can buy, like, six of these. Mm -hmm. They could back yeah, them. Yeah, they could back them re that's retail back. That's yeah. common thing. Yeah. Back eight, six, or eight, or ten copies for, uh, like, 50% of the basically regular price yeah. yeah and that to me is fine oh i love when i love stores it do when that. they do that yeah but i think someone i guess like i'd say in quotation marks is scalping the games mm -hmm. it's so they're like buying a whole bunch of copies of it to resell at an inflated price a it's making it so the price is inflated because they're buying a whole bunch of the copies that someone else could buy mm -hmm. potentially one of their customers could buy and then it just seems dishonest to me. Yeah. Um, a lot of the bigger companies only allow you to purchase up to two yeah. games and only retail stores can buy multiple copies. But so my problem with like, uh, okay, especially you buy it and shrink it and inflate the price. Mm -hmm. You're piggybacking, like you're making a business out of somebody else's business. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, it just seems really lazy. Like, this is how I make money. I back games and then I resell them. It's like, go start your own publishing company. Like, yeah. don't piggyback off of, like, other publishers of doing this. Like, yeah. it just it yeah. just seems bad. People that back games and play it once and then sell them. Like, yeah. I kind of have a problem with that, too. But I understand it. It's almost like you you might lose five bucks from it, but you're, like, renting the game for five bucks. But for me personally, like, I'm not in... I'm not getting into board games because of like I want to pretend like I'm in like the like stock market of like buy and sell high and win. like yeah. I can't do that. The hobby to me is like joyful from playing the games yeah, and buying exactly. games and building my collection and if I'm going to sell a game it's because it doesn't get played anymore and I want to like replace it with something that's going to get played. So like my shelf kind of turns into this um like it's making money for itself 
you know, it's yeah. like pushing out games and putting in games. <laughs> but like, I would never just buy with the intention to play it once and then sell it. To, or like, just keep, not even play it. At or all. not like, even play it. it. It's really bad. Yeah. Yeah. My thoughts on speculating. Just go play the stock market, or yeah, do, yeah. There are better ways to make money Sports with betting. that skill. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, this is not the hobby to do that. In. Yeah, and like it, you it, could lose like a lot Justine of money. Was saying, why put in that much work on that thing? I guess yeah. you're already tuned into the hobby, but still, that's a lot of work for I don't think that much profit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then the thoughts on exclusive. Like exploiting people's FOMO. Sure, it's kind of bad, but on the other hand, they're adults and they should try to manage their desires. No, you're right. That that's a good point. Like uh, I saw hate for sale second market while it like was not in retail yet, and it was for three hundred fifty dollars. <laughs> If you're going to buy it for $350, maybe you should just pay for your mistakes. You should, you, like, you're right, you should, you should have, like, you're an adult, you should make decisions. If you have money to throw it away and you want to throw it away and overpay for something just to get it, like, a little earlier than somebody or get the exclusives, fine. If you're going to go broke doing it, you should probably evaluate more than just board games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Actually, it's kind of amazing. Uh, I was kind of impressed about Brandon being pretty good about that, actually, because uh, one thing, when Azul was insane, that was like two years ago, you had a copy, I think, and I yeah. was kind of jokingly saying we should list it because it's selling for like 200 bucks or something on eBay, and it's like a $30 game. Uh-huh. I'd, I'd be tempted to list it, I think, if I had it, just to see if it sells for that much, but like Ben was like, no, he's just kind of not interested. It was kind of interesting. And it wasn't um, because I loved the game, it was like it felt like it went it against feels, my morals. It feels dirty, yeah. yeah. It yeah, does, yeah. does kind of feel dirty, but then again, it's money, I don't know. Well, yeah. But uh, Wingspan was actually kind of... A lot of the Stonemaier games, I feel like, are like that. Uh, actually, for, I was looking at Tapestry. If the same thing is happening, it's not happening, which is kind of odd, because in Wingspan, it was happening. It was reselling for, like, way higher than MSRP. Yeah. Tapestry, okay. I think, on eBay, I was looking at completed listings. It was going for, like, 105, which is about what it should be. So, with, with Wingspan, there was, like, something that happened like he didn't he didn't produce enough oh games. so there was yeah, like they incredible sh- yeah. shortage yeah. this time it's fine yeah well and I think it's coming out in retail on November 1st mm-hmm. and That's like true. for retail price at demo we're paying $80 and mm-hmm. so like if you know that it's coming out for retail in a certain... That's our version of Kickstarter is we pre-order it from demo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It works uh, no, out really well. That's actually pretty crazy though because people will pay for just two weeks of, or like four weeks of exclusivity. Yeah. I've definitely seen that before and I mean people are doing that with Azul. That's why they were buying like for 150 or whatever because in every month they were like I was actually looking at it like every week they deliver like 20 copies to online online stores like uh, Card House Manager Market whatever they'd sell out immediately then the next week 20 mm-hmm. more would arrive they'd sell out immediately I don't know it was kind of weird for, how like, many print runs did it go through in a year for it would two be months. like interesting to see so people were, ba- were paying for just like I feel like a few weeks of getting it early it was just that insane to for people, a $30 which is, game yeah, yeah which is kind of crazy but so yeah, I've I've been it. guilty of this. Like I I paid for games that to get them uh, like shipped from Europe before they come out in the states, 
I've overpaid, like way overpaid for it, and I and and I just learned my lesson. Yeah, it hurt, you know, and like to get it early didn't do anything for me. I have games to play. There's enough games to play, so like I don't need this game right now. Like it'd be different if like we had one game per year coming out, and I was sick of all the games that I that I had, and I had a small collection. That would be one thing, but to have so many games and and have all of our group have a bunch of games. I don't need to overpay for something to get it quick. I could wait till it comes out retail and get it for a good price and be able to buy more games because of it. Um, so this whole board game hobby has been a real exercise in Buddhism for me. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> of yeah. Just being yeah. okay. Like I'm okay when games sell out and I don't get a copy of it. I'm okay when I buy a copy for a lot of money and then it drops in price, uh, there's been a couple of times where like I've bought a game at full price and then come here and it's on sale for 50% off. Like I'm learning to be just kind of okay with that stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not happy about it, but you know, I can be unhappy about it for a minute and then move on and be okay. Um, yeah, kind of like you said, I have enough games to play. Yeah, yeah. Priesto, I feel like, has been doing this for a while now. We're just finally yeah. catching up to him. I'll see, like, <laughs> a, a game that comes out that he wants to get that's actually at a decent price here, and he'll and he's like, it'll drop. I'll wait for it to drop price. <laughs> like, yeah. And that's probably the way to go. Yeah. Probably, yeah. Like, and then maybe then by the time it comes out for a cheaper price, <laughs> you've played all these games that you should have been playing already. Yeah. So. Well, then again, if everyone's doing that, the board game probably will just disappear. Oh yeah, yeah. so we should but, we should tell you don't do that. Just, it's just an awful do it. idea. Yeah, 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 only yeah, I get, only I get to do No, but to just eat for it, that's kind of interesting because I feel the same way. I've kind of learned to be okay with stuff. I'm sometimes I'm pretty bad with stuff. Like an example is uh, there's these stupid cards for a game called Inca Empire, which is like a 15 year old game or whatever. They've been out of print for like 10 years or whatever. I bought a copy of the game just so I can have those cards and we still haven't played it. Anyway, I do stupid <laughs> stuff like that. There's like eight cards, which are kind of a mini expansion kind of a thing, whatever. Supposedly they make the game slightly better. But anyway, um, yeah, stuff like that happens to me. Like the Worms tiles as well, maybe. Anyway, yeah. I'm occasionally failing at that, but generally I'm okay with missing out on stuff more and more lately. Mm -hmm. Now, so, don't get me wrong, like, if a game comes to a store, a retail store that I want, I'm gonna buy it. Yeah. I'm not gonna wait for to get a used copy or wait for the price exactly. to drop. Like, I'm perfectly fine with paying what the store wants me to pay for it. Right. I'm just saying, like, I'm not gonna buy it from some guy in Germany, which is gonna cost a lot more than shipping alone, just to get it like three to six months in advance i'm done doing that and as far as backing games goes like the more we talk about kickstarter the less interested i become in backing <laughs> games for some reason um but i'll all i like uh, if i have the money i'll always back lacerta games there's like particular games i'll always back i really wish i backed um barrage and not only because we recently played it but because like i just like that designer a lot yeah. so there's certain designers that I will just like, if I have the money for it, I will jump on board and kickstart. The going crazy with kickstarters and always like, it sounds fun to have a game shipped to your house, 
like all the time like forget like if you're backing yeah. tons of games and it's just the game shows up you're like oh yeah i backed this that sounds like a blast and maybe one day i'll get there but right now i can't yeah yeah yep anyway uh... uh so thank you for listening to cards and cubes uh, remember, you could find us on social media. It's uh, very simple on Instagram and Facebook. It's just Cards and Cubes. Um, if you want to email us some questions or comments, you can do that on um, Cards and Cubes Podcast at gmail.com. We like to again thank Demolition Games for letting us um, record here and play here and uh, let Justine and Matt get the opportunity of feeling like they're kickstarting games. <laughs> uh, but once again, they're located at 3300 South and 85 West. We highly suggest coming down and uh, checking out their game selection. Uh, we also like to thank Quincy Johnson for composing the theme song. And until next time, goodbye.